Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. Helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit WorldAfropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. WorldAfropedia.com For generations, government work has provided good wages and job security to African Americans who may face discrimination in the private sector. And so, as this shutdown enters its fourth week, it's disproportionately affecting black people and their families. Jamiles Larte writes about this in The Guardian newspaper. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Explain the history that led to our situation today where African Americans make up a higher percentage of the federal workforce than they do in the private sector. Right. So the federal government obviously has its sort of own untoward history of racial discrimination, um, you know, from underwriting redlining and federal mortgage programming and excluding blacks from New Deal programming. But it has also been kind of at the institutional vanguard of the nation's slow march towards equality, um, more so than the private sector at large and and more than most state and local governments. Um, and for fairly obvious reasons, just did a better job of abiding by the Civil Rights Act than the labor market at large. We know that black families have a fraction of the wealth of white families. According to the Census Bureau, for every $100 in white family wealth, black families have just over $5. So what does that mean when black government workers start missing a paycheck? Right. I mean, that's that's exactly correct. The, the profound racial wealth gap in the U.S. Uh, makes it far more difficult for the average black Americans to sustain a long period without a paycheck as compared with the white American. And now, you know, we should pause to note that that 
disparity of in wealth is probably much less acute among federal workers, right? We don't have we don't have numbers of, you know, black federal workers' wealth versus white federal workers' wealth. It's probably much closer than the broader disparity. Um, but you know, overall, black Americans are less likely to have um, friends, family, networks, access to credit. You know, you name it, things that will help you uh, survive a period without a paycheck. They're less likely to have it. Tell us about one of the workers you spoke with for this story. Yeah, so I think you know the most compelling example that I found while I was reporting the story was a, uh, a national parks ranger uh, named Laura, who I had spoken to last year during that shutdown, and and at that time she was you know hesitant to be identified in the story, and she was you know scared of maybe reprisals or you know superiors finding out that she had commented, and 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 this time you know her frustration was just boiling over, and she asked me directly. She said, you know, please put my name on this. I want people to know what I'm going through. Uh, you know, she was frustrated. She was on the verge of tears when we spoke. Uh, she was worried about her employees, worried about the contractors who who work under her. And she just described, you know, that she was barely treading water and, you know, was was trying to figure out just how to pay for medication. She's She was dreading, you know, making the phone call to her landlord to say that she might not be able to pay rent. Uh, she described getting a call from her mother who said, you know, there's a bed here if you need it. And, and just kind of, you know, becoming emotional said, you know, I'm 50 years old. I I can't go live with my parents. And as tough as this is for government employees, they can at least expect to get back pay. Government contract workers may not. And you say that will also disproportionately affect black business owners. How so? Yeah, actually much more so. And so that's the next thing that I think we ought to look at. Unlike federal employees, there's no precedent for government contractors to receive back pay when when the shutdown ends. So that income is just gone. And, you know, black firms, black owned firms comprise, you know, just 2% of all small businesses in the country. Um, but they make up 11.7% of registered federal contractors. So, you know, I say that with the caveat of, of we don't know exactly how that trickles down to, to folks' wages. Um, but, but by and large, you know, black owned firms are, are going to be hit harder by the shutdown. Jamal Sarte, thanks so much. My pleasure. He's a reporter for The Guardian newspaper. Remember, no one is going to treat you special just because you are black. African Americans make up more than half of the players in Division I college football, yet as of 2017, only 14 head coaches out of 125 were black. Why and what can be done about it? To discuss it, we're joined now by Dr. Billy Hawkins, a professor in the Department of Health and Human Performance at the University of Houston, and Richard Johnson, a college football writer for SB Nation. Billy Hawkins, Richard Johnson, welcome to Houston Matters. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon, guys. How you doing? All right. As we chat, we welcome any questions or comments that you have about minority hiring and coaching, and in particular in the college football ranks, at 713-440-8870, talk at HoustonMatters.org, or on Twitter at Houston Matters. Uh, Richard Johnson, you dug into this uh, back in 2017. What prompted your interest? Uh, more than anything, uh, you know, as a young African-American kind of in the sport uh, who covers college football, who loves college football, and is... Uh, interested in it, um, you know, you just start looking around on the sidelines and you start saying, well, you know, where are the coaches of color? And, you know, with the Rooney Rule in the NFL, the the real genesis of the story and the genesis of kind of my curiosity was, is there a college football version of the Rooney Rule? And that was kind of the initial thesis. Um, and and before of, we go any further, maybe you should explain for those who don't know, because we have a lot of folks who listen who don't follow the NFL, what is the Rooney Rule? Sure, sure. Uh, the Rooney Rule is a rule created, uh, I believe, uh, a little bit over a decade ago, 
um, where NFL teams for their head coaching or executive positions must interview at least one minority candidate uh, for an open position. And it's a mandate in the NFL. Uh, in college, only one state has it for, its, uh, for, for college football programs because obviously a lot of these schools are state schools. It, it would it would uh, mean you'd be affecting state hiring practices essentially when you start going into hiring uh, head coaches or athletic directors or something like that um, for a state university. But the state of Oregon does have a Rooney rule uh, in place, and it was the only one that we had found uh, during the research and the prep for this article. Uh, aside from a mandated rule like that, what did you learn about why there are so few minority coaches? Well, what we learned more than anything was that it's it's the the top level issue is the dearth in minority coaches. Okay, anybody that looks on a sideline on a Saturday can see that. The real issue goes so much further than that and so much deeper than that. The real issue is from the time players begin playing prep and then college football, what happens to them? What happens to the players that gets them out of some of the pipelines that become direct lines to a head coach as they progress through their professional career, uh, you know, playing, and then they go to coaching. It, it's 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 a pipeline that a a young man gets on that directly goes to a head coaching position later in their life. And so, what are what are the barriers to entry? Where, where are the minority coaches, and where aren't they? More than anything, um, and and that was. The genesis, the curiosity, and, and then we kind of built from there, and you ended up telling a story about how there are levels of the pipeline that are essentially shut off to minority uh, assistant coaches and then minority coordinators, and then then that ends up, you, you come out on the other end, and there's 14, as of 2017, 14 uh, minority coaches for 125, 130 schools. So basically what happens is, when there are head coaching vacancies, more often than not, if it's not somebody who's already a head coach that takes the job, it comes from an offensive or defensive coordinator. And if there aren't uh, very many uh, uh, African-American coaches that are coordinators, well, you know, or if there's an opening there, it needs to come from other kinds of coaches. And you're saying kind of all the way up the line, you're not seeing that many uh, that are minority coaches? Yeah, um, and it's especially um, it's especially so on offense with offensive coordinators. Like it, you know, if you were an athletic director looking to hire a head coach, you could say you know give as a and as an example, hey, you know, we, there were not too many uh, qualified applicants of color for the job, or or that that you know that surfaced during our search. You could plausibly say that and as someone who's in touch with the industry as i am i could hear that and say well you know he's right but the problem is that you're right like the problem is that it is a plausible excuse to say we just didn't have that many candidates of color qualified for our job of our head coaching opening um and but th that's not enough it's not enough that, that that that's a plausible thing to say or a plausible excuse to make 
So the question is, why aren't there that many candidates of color? It's not because, you know, it's not because a, a, a coach of color doesn't have the brain power to be a head coach. That's not the case. The, the problem is in the pipeline. The problem is that they were not surfaced throughout their professional careers to get to a coordinatorship, especially an offensive coordinatorship. Dr. Hawkins, what's your take on this? Do you think uh, this notion of uh, a, a sort of flawed pipeline, that that's the root of the problem here? I think the root of the problem is systemic racism um, or institutional racism. And what we're witnessing is the manifestation of it in the form of the lack of um, black head coaches. I you know, sincerely believe that there are enough qualified black coaches around um, that could fill a lot of the positions, uh, you know, and – there, because of systemic racism, you know, I think there is this prevalence of um, where, you know, there is this doubt that they can handle the job. I think the the notion that our campaign has put forth many years ago about blacks not having the mental capabilities to be leaders in sport, I think that's still pervasive in college sport, uh, which, again, is a ma- manifestation of systemic racism. Do you think it also has to do with something beyond what they do on the field with players? Like this is more – there's a piece of this that has to do with how they relate to the campus community, how – uh, alumni feel about a black coach versus a white coach. Exactly. I think um, what we saw um, recently with the University of Texas and Charlie Strong, I think the, um, one of the boosters made a comment um, about him being not being the correct choice. And I think being the correct choice means he's not. But as younger white coaches with nothing approaching Strong's resume got head coaching jobs, Strong was becoming the poster child for the ugly little secret in college football's premier division. In 2009 and pushing 50, he went public. Mike Bianchi wrote the story for the Orlando Sentinel. His name was always mentioned for jobs, he interviewed for jobs, and he could never get a job. And uh, there was one particular school that he wouldn't name, it was an SEC school, and he said, uh, you know, after he interviewed for the job, he was told that he didn't get the job because he was a black man who had a white wife, and they didn't think that would go over well in the South. Feverish context of white supremacy. Pamela Evans Harris. Woo! Gus T. Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy today's date friday january 18 2019 so i have been told this is our weekly forum on neutralizing workplace racism before i even give the normal uh preamble we had a listener a couple weeks ago uh who chided me gently Uh, i think sports was brought up and he said i thought this was about Workplace racism. You know, I've heard you, you know, tell other people, hey, that that is the only thing we're talking about is workplace racism. How is it that we end up talking about sports? And I said, well, we were talking about it. This was, I think, two weeks ago. We were talking about it in the context of they had a report on the NFL. They fired, I think, six coaches at the end of the year, and all six of them were Negras. And they said, wow. They fired all of the black coaches in the NFL, except for two of them. They didn't have that many to begin with. 
looks like same old problem. Uh, and that was the report that we started with. And that, you know, in my view, that is workplace racism. The report that you just heard talking about college football and the absence of coaches. And in fact, I'll walk you through exactly how I acquired that clip. I wasn't even looking for that. That was from uh, Houston Public Radio. I was checking Houston Public Radio about the Jasmine Barnes case, the seven-year-old who was shot and killed uh, December 30th. Uh, They said it was a white man and all that. We've been talking about it. They've arrested and charged uh, two black males. Uh, But I was checking to get updates on that case. And I saw this as I was checking. This report about this came up before Jasmine Barnes moved on. Nobody cares about black children. So this report comes up. I check it out and I'm listening. Okay, college football. I wasn't even going to play it. We got a few minutes in. And when Dr. Howard came on and they asked uh, his opinion, you know, why do you think it is that they don't have any uh, black coaches in the NCAA college football? And Dr. Hawkins, excuse me, uh, came on. He said it's, you know, systemic racism. This is a manifestation of it. System of racism, white supremacy would have been ideal, but right on. Just I mean, it's no need to pussyfoot around it and make excuses. It's white supremacy racism. That's why. They've said this for you and even giving examples where whites have said the Negroes are too ignorant to have this job. Racism, white supremacy. That's why they don't have any Negro coaches. Haven't had them for, you know, forever. Now, in addition, now, again, this is not sports, but in my view, all of that is workplace racism. Even the portion about Mr. Strong. And I'm sure that's happened outside of just college coaching where a black person, particularly a black male, if they find out this black male is feverish and married to or with a white woman, I am very sure that that has happened where that also has messed up employment for some other victims of racism as well. But anywho, um, and that was a, I actually jumped. That was the Houston Public Radio report talking about why they don't have college coaches. And then I inserted NPR actually did a whole segment. They've done several segments on Mr. Strong specifically uh, and him talking about he did not get coaching jobs because he was married to a white woman. Just to put that on record explicitly. Now, this is all in my view, workplace racism. And that's how they presented this. There was an article in The New York Times, especially given that. Professional athletics has been presented as one of the ways that black males exhibit black male privilege. The New York Times just this week, they had an article, the NFL's obesity scourge, the effects of head trauma have gotten much of the attention, but huge weight gains have also damaged NFL retirees. All the images that they have for this article, and they have a number of them, are of black male and specifically obese black males, like morbid, obese black males. And I'm not going to read any of the article, but just this was, in my view, another workplace racism because they talked about how they would go through the NFL. You beat up your body. You get brain damage, as they said. You retire. And they were talking about how they encourage you to gain all this weight. And they put it specifically in terms of the workplace. They talked about it for this job. You need to weigh now 350 pounds. You quit this job. Now you are 40, 35, whatever your age is, 350 pounds, probably got bad knees, bad back, bad brain. And, you know, you're about 150 pounds at minimum over what your healthy, what a healthy body weight 
would be for you. And they said for a lot of these guys, because of the injuries, one of them, they said he had a spine like a 70 year old. They can't do any exercising anymore. After having all that athleticism now, a lot of them, they struggle to even get out of the bed without painkillers. It was horrendous. Uh, Talking about people who are 450 pounds, painkillers, brain damage. Hopefully I saved a few nickels. The life of black athletes. Workplace racism. Workplace racism. So now the typical preamble uh, if we have any folks who have figured out you don't have these problems they don't require you to gain excessive amounts of weight for your job you have a great office if you need vacation time if you need sick time uh, for your children any other difficulties you don't have to worry about it they don't move your desk around you don't have to worry about switching chairs every other month Uh, you know you're going to be stationed this particular office, this particular work area for as long as you like. You don't have to worry about shutdowns, incorrect payment, incorrect compensation. You avoid all of those issues, get all of your promotions and raises on time. You should be one of the first to call in with lots of explicit details. 641-715-3640, the code 564 Nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. Unmuted. Unmuted myself, thankfully. Woo, forgot that I muted myself when I was trying to connect. My apologies for the folks who are listening on the dial-in line. I will repeat briefly uh, for the folks that were listening in live. Uh, thank you all for listening. For the folks who were on the dial-in line, uh, I just had my line uh, muted. I was trying to connect other folks at the beginning of the program and muted the line so you all wouldn't hear all the extra ringing. Anywho, context of white supremacy for January uh, Friday January 18, 2019. Uh, As I said, we had talked a lot about sports uh, before and a listener chided me about uh, talking about sports on workplace racism. And I said these were all presented as incidents of workplace racism. Uh, The report that we played at the beginning and even one of the reports that we talked about a few weeks back, uh, the number 641-715-3600. Four zero, the code five six four nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. Number again six four one seven one five three six four zero, the code five six four nine. Four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. Uh, certainly, if we have any folks, uh, I've been saying this for a few weeks now. I think it's week five as uh, of the so-called shutdown. Uh, if we have any folks uh, who are being directly uh, impacted. By the so-called shutdown, people have emailed or written in to say that they have been. We have any folks that have been uh, directly impacted by the shutdown. 
dial in, let us know. I thought that was really important uh, from the NPR report that we <clears throat> had at the beginning of the broadcast this evening, uh, where they were talking about how uh, particularly black businesses that are independent contractors of the federal government, how they probably will be taking a big hit uh, on this one. And I can connect that to some of the other reports. I would suspect that a lot of the black businesses would be what they call smaller businesses uh, where they don't have as many employees and maybe don't have as much, uh, don't have the same amount of resources as, you know, the behemoths, Amazon, uh, Apple, and so forth, Starbucks even. Um, and they were saying that for those smaller businesses, it was going to be even harder. They would probably have to start uh, laying off employees quicker and doing lots of other things to stay afloat, as they say. I could see that having a huge impact and being much worse for black businesses. Again, why I emphasize on the program, never said uh, that black people should not go into business. I've never said that. That is phenomenal. Uh, if you can do so and be profitable, whoopee, uh, just said, uh, it, I, I find it, it is very dangerous because I've seen consistently where many black people, uh, they function with some sort of logic that if you become an entrepreneur, you won't have a problem with racism. Nothing is further from the truth. Uh, we've had a lot of people, even some recently, uh, who've dialed in to testify to that. Going into business, great racism, white supremacy will be manifest in lots of ways. The shutdown, I would say, is definitely one. Uh, if you are not interested, able to dial in, you can always email untiljustice at gmail.com untiljustice at gmail.com and we can read <clears throat> your commentary on the air uh, if you have a suggestion feedback on something that has been shared uh, we can read that if you have your own situation that you would like commentary on a counter-racist perspective uh, you can write that in and we can share your thoughts anonymously and then folks can you know offer what they what they think uh, let's see. Some folks already wrote in. Ah, black female. She writes in the last department meeting. The manager asked if any of us would be interested in helping and or transitioning to other departments. Myself and the non-white female who should have the manager's title asked what we would be doing. The manager said, I don't know. They didn't say. I'm not going to go down there and ask all these questions if no one is interested. So I say, I may be interested, but will need more information about what I'm expected to do to make that de uh, determination. My coworkers expressed that they agree with my statement. And finally, the manager says, OK, that makes sense. I'll ask. So she tells us the department that's asking for help, and I ask how to be considered. I figured if there was a layoff, the people in the other department who were hired after me would be the first to go, and I would have more time to look for another job. She advises me to speak with the manager of the department. I speak to him and convey interest in email and ask about the position, including details on benefits, compensation. He didn't want to quote the compensation and told me to ask HR, human resources. 
HR gives me the information and I ask how to apply. The HR lady responds that I can apply on the intranet internal network if the position is available. I go to apply and the position isn't posted, of course. The following week, the manager in the other department asked if I was interested in the job. I replied, yes. However, HR advised I could apply if the position is available and if it's not posted. He responds, oh, you really don't have to do that. It's simple for me to add. I didn't know if you were interested or not. It didn't make sense because I thought I had already shown interest, but I said, Yes, I am interested. He said, okay, and walked off. Every day after that, I would check to see if the position had been uh, had posted and it hadn't. Finally, my manager asked me if I had applied for the position. I told her that it's not posted and I didn't know how else to convey interest. She states, okay, don't worry about asking anymore. This incident is not only this incident not only illustrates how white people waste your time, but it reminded me of Invisible Man Top Five Ralph Ellison. It reminded me of Invisible Man. Keep this nigger boy running, even though I am a female. Uh, was it correct for me to stop inquiring about the other position? Thank you, and listeners, for your time and energy. Uh, I don't, I don't see anything incorrect about you stopping your inquiry. If you've asked, if it's about a position, you've conveyed interest, uh, that you would like to apply. And it seems like they are not following through to help you get this. If you get the sense that it's, you know, they do not want you to have this job or they're not going to promote you to this position. I can totally see, uh, ceasing the inquiry. Uh, if you want to persist, you could ask, well, the position is not posted. Is there a means for me to apply for this job even though it's not posted? That could be a question uh, to see, you know, see what he says from there. But I mean, yeah, if they're and you're getting this from multiple people where they're not the position's not posted and they keep making these comments. Oh, yeah, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And I thought, oh, I didn't even know that you were interested after you've already said, oh, sure. Just, you know, let's get some more details. And then I'm following through. I can totally understand. I don't see anything incorrect about that at all. Uh, I guess, listeners, if you have a thought on whether one should continue to inquire and or what other questions would be good to ask uh, in this sort of situation, there's a position, but they're not uh, posting it inside. And that's that's another one of the ways that white people hide racists practice racism, uh, those job postings. Uh, so many of the job postings are private. They don't post them at all. This will just go to my friend here, or this will just, you know, go to the person that I'm having sex with on the side here or whatever, my high school homie. Racism, white supremacy happens like that a lot. Uh, and they do exactly that. They, they talked about, they talked about the same thing with black coaches uh, that they would bring some of them in. Oh, yes. Come on in, Mr. Strong and act like, oh, yes, we'll think about you. And then you never get hired. You just keep getting keep that nigger boy or nigger gal running. Next uh, person wrote in. About two months after attempting to move to a different department in order to maintain employment, I began to wonder how the layoff would happen. The white female Trump supporter was a very emotional, highly medicated person. Uh, I was 
just curious about what type of medication we're talking about, opioids or painkillers, prescribed meds. Anyway, a highly medicated person, so I was concerned for my safety, rightly so. So I asked the manager what the procedure is when a person is laid off, terminated. She states that she's notified via email and is required to deactivate their badge access. I asked what happens if she's out and doesn't receive the email about the termination. She states, I don't know. That's a good question. She asks if something has happened and I explained that recent incidents have caused me to be concerned as one can't predict how an employee will react to losing their job and that I wanted to ensure other employees are safe. She states, oh my goodness, yes. With everything going on, whenever I go to the movies now, I'm looking for an exit. When I was more confused, I would have believed that she was actually concerned, but I knew she wasn't. Instead of saying that she would ask him, she suggests that I ask the white male she reports to, stating that he may take it more serious if I ask. She has that in quotes. I found that to be odd. However, I sent the email anyway. Um, this is the exchange. So the victim writes, uh, good morning. When an employee or employees uh, are terminated, laid off, is there a policy or procedure that ensures the safety of other employees? Any feedback is greatly appreciated. Thank you. Suspect, if you are referring to this building, we obviously deactivate access cards, but beyond that would depend on the perceived threat. Do you have some sort of concern? Victim, I am very concerned as I cannot predict how a person will respond to losing employment. Many times people respond with violence in the event uh, that this individual does not receive the message to deactivate an access card. How will other employees know that the person has been terminated, laid off? I hope you can understand my concern. Thank you. Uh, suspect, uh, I will make sure that the white female manager and our office personnel are notified of any layoffs or separations. Please let me know if you have any further questions or concerns. Victim, thanks for responding. Have a good day. About a week after that email, 15 minutes before my shift was scheduled to end and while I was doing someone else's work, my manager calls me into her office. The white male that she reports to was already there. He begins with, I'm sorry, blah, 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 explains that my insurance will be active until a particular date in bold in the severance agreement and that I have 45 days to review before signing. Both of these paragraphs were stated in bold in the severance agreement. He stated that although I have 45 days to sign, the longer I wait will delay the receipt of my paychecks. This entire time, the female manager is looking at her computer monitors, avoiding eye contact with me. I thanked them for their time and went to my desk to gather my things. I thought it incorrect and unsafe that I be allowed to enter the space where other employees were unsupervised. That was the purpose of my email about safety. Luckily, I didn't have any personal items to pack. I had uh, I just had to log off and grab my bag about a minute or two later as I'm gathering my things to go. The female manager comes to me and asks, can I help you with anything? Do you have anything to pack up? I responded, no, thank you. I felt her staring at me, wanting me to engage and look at her, but I refused and she walked away. 
I didn't read the severance agreement immediately as I should have. Two weeks after the layoff, I decided to schedule some doctor's appointments. I called the insurance company to confirm details about my coverage and was told that my uh, benefits had been terminated the week before. I was surprised and confused, so I finally read the agreement in full. I was still misunderstanding something. I called corporate to speak with the benefits department. Both white women I spoke with were rude and advised my health benefits are terminated until I signed the severance agreement. I advised her of what I was told when I was laid off and asked if she could help me as a courtesy. She never responded to my email. After rereading the severance agreement, I realized that the information about the pay and the health coverage were both under the section entitled benefits. Not only was my paycheck delayed until I signed, so was the health coverage. Although I suspected that I was mistreated while at this job, I needed to go to the doctor, so I signed it so that my health benefits would be reinstated. Should I have requested that the female manager ask the person she reports to about the safety concern? Uh, with that question... I generally advocate being direct if you have a question or a concern and you've asked one person and they've not answered the question or you're not satisfied with the response. And there is another white person, a more powerful white person, presumably, uh, who can be asked maybe to get clarification about this you know, query. Uh, I'm always an advocate of asking directly. If you have an opportunity, if you can speak to this person that has been offered, I'm always an advocate of asking directly because I think it it does allow for a bit more racism. Uh, if you're not asking directly, you don't know if they're going to ask the exact question uh, that you ask and how the information is going to be re uh, relayed. You get to ask the question directly the way that you want to ask, and then you get the exact response. You get to hear exactly from the person. So I'm always a, an advocate of direct engagement. Uh, next question. Should I have asked them about the position in the other department that I wanted to apply to? Should I have asked why I wasn't given the opportunity to stay when there were people in the other department that had been there less than a year? I don't see anything incorrect about that question. Uh, I think you said uh, the person writing uh, said that the white female manager suspected race soldier. She wasn't even giving eye contact uh, and was just kind of looking at her monitor. Uh, sometimes in those situations, they will be forthcoming about why they're making this decision. Sometimes they will not. I'll say frequently white people in these uh, type of situations will not give you a completely honest answer about why these things are happening. However, that is a, a quality question to ask, uh, since there tends to be a normal protocol about these type of things. Nothing incorrect about that question at all. At least you get to hear the response. You can have that on record, you know, get that, you know, as part of your uh, record about what happened with that whole situation. Uh, also, uh, so, so important. I know that's such a, a stressful time if you are being terminated uh, from a job for anybody anytime for any reason, uh, but definitely anytime that there's paperwork involved at the job, definitely make time to read it. Like even if it's uh, not that day, like if you need like that day to decompress uh, and to do whatever you need, uh, take a hike or go swimming or whatever, uh, just to try to calm yourself as best you can. 
but read that paperwork. That is one of the ways uh, white people will get us with racism, white supremacy. It'll be really pertinent details that that sort of thing, they might just directly tell a white person, you know, hey, we are having to let you go or lay you off or whatever it is. Uh, but, you know, your uh, benefits, your coverage will be delayed until you sign. They might at least give you that verbal heads up so that you know that. Whereas a black person, it's just, you know, assume, you know, Negroes don't read whatever it's on you. If you're not going to read it, then you'll have to find out the hard way. I feel like that sort of thing happens to black people a lot on jobs. That's why I'm such uh, a stickler for reading policy and procedure, because sometimes that type of thing can even be in policy and procedure. Sometimes they cover uh, termination and what happens with your benefits. Uh, sometimes you can already know that, you know, ahead of time. That's why I'm really big advocate the entire policy and procedure manual, read the whole thing cover to cover, even if it's thick, read the, take, you know, two weeks, a month. You don't have to read it all in one setting. Uh, and then definitely any paperwork, even the, especially, I would say, especially the times when it's tough, uh, when it's a write up, uh, a termination, uh, if it's, you know, a promotion being denied, a raise being denied, uh, and there's a verbal war, anything like that, and there's paperwork involved really take time to read. And in fact, if there's uh, something that you got to sign, I think that's one where Mr. Fuller has said, uh, encouraged us to request additional time so that you can review, study what it is that you're being asked to sign, or at least study the paperwork that's being thrust upon you uh, in a less stressful environment so that you can really process what's on the page. Nothing should be incorrect about that. Request additional time to study uh, the paperwork, but that is so, so crucial. Uh, thank you for writing in uh, to share. And again, I've said I know this is not, you know, the easy sort of thing uh, to talk about. It is not fun at all. But how many of us can truthfully say we've never had to deal with being terminated by whites from a job? That's what I mean. Very important information uh, to know. If folks have uh, thoughts on the questions that were asked about how you respond uh, to there's a potential job opening, but they're not posting it. And then they know that they're being racist and not racist and not posting it. People have thoughts about that, uh, about asking uh, in the termination situation in terms of why people with uh, less seniority were not laid off or were they laid off or asking about that. If people have thoughts about that. Uh, again, if we have any thoughts on the uh, shutdown, if anybody is being directly, uh, indirectly impacted uh, by that. Uh, and I guess the question about asking directly, uh, if you have a, a question uh, about really anything workplace related, asking directly or getting, if you ask a white person and they don't answer or give you an unsatisfactory answer, and then say you could ask, you know, this white person over here, would you rather have the white person do the asking since that's part of their job or you do the asking yourself? Number again, 641-715-3640, the code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Uh, first few folks who dialed in with a hand up, line should be open. Proceed. Can I be heard? Greetings, retired firefighter. Greetings, Gus. Greetings, everyone else. 
Uh, I didn't realize I was going to get picked so soon. Uh, just a comment on the uh, on the uh, college coaches' uh, job debacle. Uh, one thing that uh, that needs to be uh, said is with the uh, with the coaching business. Uh, I would say on actually all levels, uh, anywhere from well, that pay, I put it, I put it that way, um, from high school to college to NFL, uh, unlike some other jobs, uh, there's no, there's basically, it's very little or no requirements at all for becoming a football coach, whether the head coach <laughs> to, uh, the, uh, person that blows up the footballs, there's, there's not, uh, any qualifications, uh, for instance, you know, with physician, uh, some of us, you know, would know that, uh, it requires that you, you go through, uh, undergraduate, uh, med school. And there's some other requirements that takes place to become a teacher. There's some, some requirements that, you know, other than, uh, a diploma for a four year, a four year degree, uh, diploma and uh, some other requirements like uh, the state test that uh, was being talked about a couple of weeks ago uh, on the program. But as a football coach, uh, <laughs> there is no requirements at all. Uh, and uh, so from that standpoint of no qualifications, there's there's not any place to even for a black person to kind of argue the situation on justification on why I did not get this job. Uh, the whole idea about even the Rooney rule, quote unquote, the word minority is such a broad term that can mean a lot of different quote unquote types of people. Uh, it, it, it doesn't even have to be a male, let alone talking about a black male, uh, you know, as far as that concerned. So, and, and I think it's, I think it's left that loose like that on purpose specifically to make it difficult for black males to be selected or there's no, it'd be less chance for any pushback uh, because because there's no standards that's evolved with it. Uh, I, I, as I probably mentioned on this program before, other than, you know, from the standpoint of a salaried job, and some of those jobs uh, are quite lucrative uh, financially, uh, when you're talking about the NCAA level and professional level. Uh, but uh, at the same time, uh, it's very difficult to maintain the job because it's based on success uh, to many different levels. Uh, but uh, the importance of it is, uh, from my experiences uh, as a coach, uh, the connection between a black male as a coach 
and the majority of the players on teams, especially teams that are successful, uh, you have a, uh, a opportunity for a constructive communication beyond X's and O's or football winning uh, that uh, can be transferred, exchanged between that coach or those coaches and those black male players uh, who are actually, and this is from my personal experience of being a coach since 1981 on the high school level, that goes beyond, they're looking, they're looking for more uh, advice or, or conversation or relationship than just football itself, especially on the high school and college level is what I'm saying. And uh, that, that, that makes the job quite important from that standpoint, regardless of what someone cares about sports or football in itself. It's a uh, platform, so to speak, where you have black males, younger black males with somewhat older black males in the same, in, in the same environment. And that's what I have to say about that. Thank you. Much obliged. Certainly understandable why racists would not want a black male to have such a platform to influence young black male minds. Uh, let's see. Other folks dialed in. If you have a hand up commentary to share, line should be open. While folks are getting their comments together, uh, we had other folks who wrote in via email who had questions. Uh, let's see. I pulled it up and then moved away from the screen. Or they had a question rather. Uh, let's see. So the question Recently, I've been excluded from being asked if I was willing to work overtime at my workplace. I just said they have a variety of different ways of excluding black people from jobs. Uh, the suspected racist who have been in charge uh, appears to be purposely overlooking me when they enter the room. My query is, should I confront these people regarding what I deem incorrect behavior? If I'm not mistaken, Mr. Fuller suggests non-white people go to white people to request the assistance they need. I do intend to pose the question to Mr. Fuller himself. Maybe it's my pride, but I find it distasteful and counter code to put oneself in a position where whites have something on over you Pardon the metaphor. That's so funny. I believe I would be placed in a more vulnerable position if I asked a white person to help me financially, directly or indirectly. Hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if you I may I might be <clears throat> I might not be understanding correctly. If you're going to request assistance, uh, is it would it be asking them I would like to be included in overtime or whatever the position is at work, if, if that's what you're doing, I don't know why that would be something that would make you feel like it's injuring your pride or is counter code 
uh, or giving white people an opportunity to have something on you. Like if, if that's what it is, like, I don't, if, I mean, if you're going to request finances or something else, if I'm not understanding it correctly, then perhaps you could give us a follow-up uh, email so that I better understand. Uh, but if it's, they're not, they're deliberately excluding you <clears throat> from even asking you if you want to work overtime. Uh, and you said the supervisor is, is seems like he's not even looking your direction, uh, purposely avoiding you, just going to ask, you know, hey, Bob, Roger, whatever it is, uh, <clears throat> I haven't been given too many opportunities to get overtime. I'd like to be included if possible, always looking to pick up a few extra hours if I can. I don't see anything uh, incorrect about asking for that. Uh, and I don't I don't understand how that would put white people in a position of having something over on you. But if it's a different if you are requesting something else from them, let us know. Um, I would definitely not ask any of the white people that I work with for financial assistance, like alone, anything like that, that just seems like that would not go well at all and could even cause more problems. So, but again, I could be not understanding correctly, I guess, to the point of white people having something over on you or feeling more vulnerable, uh, I would just say in a system of racism, white supremacy, we are vulnerable. Uh, I think much more vulnerable than any of us would like to admit frequently. That's why I use the term, well, that's one of the reasons that I use the term uh, white supremacy. They dominate. That's what supreme means. Uh, it's no wiggle room. It's no kind of, they're sort of in charge. Whites are supreme. The known universe, all areas of people activity, is no ifs, ands, buts about it. And as a result, we are extraordinarily vulnerable, painfully vulnerable. If you are a non-white person, especially if you are a black person in the system of racism. And if I'm saying anything that is not logical or inaccurate, you can let me know. That being the case, uh, I would say, you know, resist the urge as best you can. Uh, it, I mean, it is painful. It's terrible uh, being in that predicament, particularly having to go to racists who are the ones that are keeping you or the or responsible for why we're in this vulnerable position anyway and financially destitute anyway uh, to have to go to them and, and ask for shifts or whatever it is uh, in a workplace setting or elsewhere. But that is the situation. So in the meantime, if it's if it is a an, an asking to be included in additional shifts, I don't see anything incorrect about that. And I don't think you should feel any type of way about it. In fact, I think that's great. I think a lot of times white people, they will expect that we are not going to confront them to ask a question or make a request, that sort of thing. They will expect that, oh, we'll just mistreat them, leave them out of what have you, and they won't say anything about it. That's what they expect. I think just going and asking, Asking to get your needs met, I think that's black self-respect, and I always think it's great when we can ask a question. Can I be included in the overtime question? Uh, if folks have, again, comments on this or any of the other questions uh, that were asked, that would be grand. Uh, this one uh, specifically about is there something incorrect about it would seem to me remedying not being included in extra shifts on the job, going to ask white people to correct that. Is there anything incorrect about that? Or I guess feeling vulnerable or wounded pride. That's system of racism, white supremacy for victims. Uh, I'd say pride that can be a very troublesome thing. Uh, most of the time. Uh, I don't, I don't know how much pride you could have as a victim of white terrorism. 
black self-respect different from just being black and proud. Anywho, other folks who dialed in, if you have commentary or responses to the questions, proceed. Can I be heard? Uh, greetings, Imhan DC. Yes, sir. Greetings. I was going to make mention about earlier this week, I was trying to uh, conduct business. I'm, I've become an entrepreneur to whatever extent. I don't like white working for white people directly because I don't want to be stuck in a building with them or even having to see them every moment, you know, in, in a given number of hours. So I decided that I would work for myself and I don't have the necessary resources to even conduct my business correctly. Um, I was, I went to the library to, do a lot of work that I needed the internet for and a printer for. And so I went to the library downtown and I had a list of things that I was, I, I needed to do because I would just write a, a, a list of all the things I need to do because there's a lot of things I, I need to do to do, to conduct business and make a few dollars. And so when I went to the library, like I remember numbers, like I remember my library code, um, the card number, so, you know, when I sit down to the library on the computer, I just type in the numbers, I log in, and then I start, you know, working. And then I have to go to the printer, and then I'm printing off stuff. So perhaps I'm doing too much activity or something. But anyway, so I, then I'm stepping outside because I need to make a call or accept the call. I need to um, call HUD and, and, and try to figure out certain things in that department. And then I'm, I'm, I'm coming back to – I step back in, and I'm – trying to get my papers, trying to finish up everything. I had actually just finished most of the things I needed to do. And then they said that there was a bomb threat in the library. And I've never in my life heard of a bomb threat to a library. Who wants to bomb a bunch of homeless people? Everybody there is, they're, they're just, you know, it's early in the day. These are people that really didn't have anywhere else to go. They're just sitting down on the computer, you know, doing whatever they're doing. And it was just, you know, messing up my day. So I left there. I've, you know, I happened to finish most of the things I needed to do. I go to the bank and it said, it's, I go to the bank. I need to make certain transactions or, or do certain things in the bank. And I have to speak to the, again, another manager. And it happens to be a manager that I've had some conversation with before. And, you know, have to have a similar type of conversation. And it's just um, the conversation is directed about race and even about my personal life. You know, it's not very difficult to figure out certain things about me, but it's, it's not pleasant to hear it spoken back to you by somebody who likely doesn't mean you um, good. And so... You know, I report these things to the cows because I, I have to tell my children whenever they do come, I have to let them know what's going on, why I wasn't able to make money in the time frames that 
seem like it should be reasonable why I couldn't do certain things. And and I need to make documentation on where where likely the files won't be as corrupted. But, you know, I'm just, I'm concerned. um, But, you know, I'm, I just don't appreciate being terrorized. I don't appreciate having to stop the work and not even having resources to, to do things. Thank you. Context of white supremacy, white terrorism. Uh, we could have just right there, bomb threat at the library, as you said. That's, that is the system uh, of white supremacy where you can't even, books, books computers that's it i'm at the library what exactly is here to bomb and we can't even go here without threats of you know terrorist assaults being launched against us uh and then after that time and energy uh and even connecting that with the listener who just wrote in about being vulnerable that's what i mean all of us very vulnerable position at the library trying to get work done and all these disruptions, chaos, whole library gets shut or evacuated or whatever, you know, they did they interfered with you being able to get your work done. Uh, you got to deal with all of this. <clears throat> That's the vulnerability that I'm talking about. All of us experience uh, in the field of labor. That's what we're talking about here uh, in the workplace. Whether you're an entrepreneur well, when you said you don't even work for white people directly and you're still got to deal racism, white supremacy and just being there and trying to conduct business. Um yeah, I, I mean, <clears throat> in terms of explaining that, I've heard that. And particularly in the workplace con- uh, context, I've heard that so frequently. That's all throughout The Warmth of Other Sons, Isabel Wilkerson, another top 10 book, uh, Gus T. Uh, but so many black people who experience all of this trauma in the workplace. I think it's going to be a segment on that uh, tomorrow on the compensatory call-in where we don't talk about this and we don't explain it to our children Uh, And I do not think that that's helpful. Uh, I think that our offspring need to know uh, about the terrorism we experience on the job, about the terrorism that all black, I mean, whatever you're going through, this is what all black people uh, are experiencing on the job. This is what dad is experiencing. This is what mom is experiencing. Grandma, granddad, aunt, you can just go all, you know, through the line. This is what everybody, and if we don't solve this problem, this is what you will be experiencing on the job if we don't solve this problem. That's, you know, in my view, that is the same as informing your child about what fire is. Yes, metaphor, but in my view, very much the same. Uh, other folks, uh, again, there were a number of questions. So if folks uh, have any thoughts on the questions that were asked or if you have your own situation you would like to present, proceed. I'll make sure to get out my reminder uh, to folks. This is not the broadcast for spectators. Uh, Definitely, if you are a non-white person anywhere in the known universe and you have a job, I am pretty sure you have had experience with workplace racism. It would be stunning if you have not. That in and of itself would be reason to dial in to explain how you have done that. And again, Give us lots of details. 
Uh, but definitely not for spectators. Number again, 641-715-3640. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61. If you would like to participate, again, either your own situation or if you have commentary on what's been shared thus far. We'll assume folks are still getting it together. I'll give folks a, a few more. Uh, moments until justice at gmail.com the caller who did write in about the i guess the whites that are keeping you from getting overtime on the job if you are listening and could give us more details on exactly what the request is that you are thinking of making to the whites that would be helpful uh just so that i have a better understanding that way you know if i did not grasp it correctly uh that way i might not have responded to your question uh, in the best manner. But if you're listening live, or even if you catch the archive, maybe you can give us an update and we can respond to it uh, as we proceed next week. Let's see. While I'm waiting for folks to, uh, I guess, get their thoughts together, uh, I can say uh, in the business of trying to get the yoga retreat together, like, wow. Uh, <laughs> In terms of black people being independent, black entrepreneurs and black people attempting to have facilities <clears throat> to own facilities where black people could host a retreat or reunion or whatever. Wow. I can tell you just from the few weeks or what have you and attempting to organize the retreat, you do not escape racism, white supremacy by being a black entrepreneur, not at all. Uh, and that was uh, even going to be woven into the retreat to have that explained directly from a black entrepreneur that you do not escape. They might even escalate uh, the racism, white supremacy against you. Oh, we have a Negro who thinks they're going to be an entrepreneur. How interesting. We'll show you what we think of those type of Negros uh, type of thing. But that should be included as a part of the retreat. But there has been a hefty amount uh, in a very short period of workplace. That's I don't wouldn't even know what else to call it. Workplace racism attacking directly a black uh, business owner. Hefty amount uh, in the time just trying to organize the cows yoga retreat. But more details on that to come again. All I can say uh, and again, vulnerability uh, that concept has come up uh, a lot in trying to organize and, and talking. Even thought of uh, Mr. Fuller was mentioned before. White people can show you better than I can tell you. Uh, I think a lot of us, particularly in the workplace, I think it's better. I think that's something that Mr. Fuller uh, encourages. On these jobs, they can fire us anytime they want. Doesn't matter what our title is, how much we make. They, I mean, they demonstrate that on a regular basis that we can be gotten rid of any of us just like the <clears throat> listener who wrote in at the beginning of the program that is the essence of being vulnerable and i think in a workplace context remembering that in in fact it's been my experience when we forget that we are in that vulnerable position when we forget that whites they can do whatever to, they want to us on these jobs including firing us terminating us whatever that's been my experience when a lot of victims myself included 
have more problems uh, on the job. In my experience and my conclusion, it is much better. That's counter-racist logic. Uh, to kind of keep that in the forefront, I'm in a very vulnerable, uh, vulnerable position here. They have much more power than me. And really, that's at the root of the logic of why I say policy and procedure. What's the policy and procedure? Using that uh, as your limited power, you're just trying to use the rules and power that they've set up. These are the rules that they've laid down, just hoping that they will honor what they said and pointing out when they don't, uh, because it's not like you can go in with your army and a whole lot of might. That's just not the case. That is the unfortunate reality of white supremacy racism. Even if you are a black entrepreneur, you're still very vulnerable, as they said, with the whole uh, shutdown. Anywho, other folks uh, or folks still needing time to get there thoughts words together still spectating we have folks who had thoughts i can't believe nobody even had uh query uh responses to the questions we had a number of questions asked by the listeners this evening taking time well i'll wait for oh was that someone going to respond or are they just listening can i be heard oh retired firefighter yes sir uh yeah i, I think uh one of the uh the writers was uh mentioning about uh being reluctant to uh to ask white people for for money. Am I correct? See, that's the one I'm a little confused. I was hoping they could get detail. I'm not sure if it was an ask for money. He said uh, he was not be, he was being deliberately omitted from overtime shifts. That part I'm clear on. So he says every day after that, I would check to see. Oh, incorrect email. Let me make sure I go back, get the right email. Okay. So he's been excluded from overtime. He says, should I confront these people regarding what I deem as incorrect behavior? If I'm not mistaken, Mr. Fuller suggests non-white people go to white people to request the assistance they need. I do intend to pose the question to Mr. Fuller himself. Maybe it's my pride, but I find it distasteful and counter code to put oneself in a position where whites have something on over you, pardon the metaphor, I believe I would be placed in a more vulnerable vulnerable position if I asked a white person to help me financially, directly or indirectly. That's that's all it says. So I don't know if that means that he's thinking of asking for some sort of financial assistance or because he he started saying that he intended to address the incorrect behavior about uh, him being, you know, left out. He said, I, should I confront these people regarding what I deem as incorrect behavior? That was a question. In my view, yes. And you could do that just by asking, you know, is it possible that I could be included in the overtime shifts or am I being left out of the overtime shifts? I haven't been given access. You know, you can phrase that in a lot of different ways where it's not even a confrontation. You could just ask directly, I'd like to be included in the overtime shifts uh, coming up. Is that possible? But that was one question. And then the next question about uh, him not liking to be in a vulnerable position uh, if you ask for white, uh, if you ask white people to help you financially, and that's the one where I didn't understand what the nature of the request was going to be. 
Well, based based on how you you read it, uh, it sounds like uh, he may need to uh, rethink rethink his uh, his his uh, understanding. Uh, uh, I don't know of any significant financial gain uh, that uh, does not come ultimately from a white person, uh, based on what. Uh, non-white, especially non-white black people, uh, can obtain. And uh, it's just a matter of having that understanding. Uh, that's what you would have to do. Uh, the, the hardest part of developing an understanding of the system of racism and white supremacy is our Sometimes our reluctance to, I'm not saying this person, but what I observed, including with myself, is uh, our uh, reluctance to uh, face reality <laughs> because it's not, it's, not very, uh, it's not very prideful, to tell you the truth, uh, when it comes down to it. Uh, but uh, you, you would have to go about uh, a particular process in order to uh, obtain the things that you need. That's the world we live in. So therefore, it should it should motivate any any of us to uh, constantly focus on this problem uh, because white people with that power is not willing to practice something called justice. Uh, and uh, that's why it should be something that we should... Uh, devote our time and energy towards uh, changing it and uh, replacing it, well, eliminating it and replacing with uh, a system of justice. But uh, that's something he's, he, if it's written, if, it's, if, it, if he really means what, how you read it, then that he, he has to uh, go, go there and inquire about it. Uh, uh, so, somewhat from the stand, from standpoint of framing the, uh, the question into requesting that they investigate uh, his inability to uh, acquire overtime, over, over, yeah, overtime. Uh, you know, ask them to uh, investigate it. And uh, you know, that's something. I mean, that's one of the reasons why you you uh, have a job in the first place is to uh, obtain the base salary as well as extra money that are being offered to employees and you certainly are one of them. You know, so I don't see anything wrong of asking uh, whoever's in charge of that and as I mentioned before, ultimately it's going to be a white person at the end of it. You know, and uh, the, the answer to his problem may be something simple. Maybe something simple, you know, as opposed to complicated. But he wouldn't know unless he asks. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they're going to, well, it's possible it could be, but I don't think they're going to come and, and come to him, you know, to state, you know, just give him some money, you know, as far as that concerned, You know, he's going to have to uh, take some sort of step towards uh asking for uh, uh, them to investigate investigate uh, uh, his inability to 
work overtime. Yeah. Is there another question that because uh, I'm not, I'm not fully remembers of all of the different questions. Uh, maybe I can take a shot at another one. Uh, let's see. The uh, black female caller uh, she wrote in. Uh, she had the question about she was uh, being laid off from a job and it seemed that there were whites who had less seniority than she did. She asked about whether or not uh, it would have been constructive or worthwhile even uh, to ask about uh, that process in terms of uh, why she was let go as opposed to others. Uh, let's see. Uh, she also asked about uh, if you ask a white person on a job a question like an HR department member, you ask them a question and they don't answer it to your satisfaction. Uh, and they say, well, I could ask, you know, such and such who is a white person with more power or you can ask. Uh, she said, is it better uh, to have the white person ask or for you to ask directly as the victim? Uh, that was one of her questions also. Uh. I would I would say uh, if it's possible both. I, I mean, w one of them definitely should be on on uh, that person's part. The person who who is uh, basically uh, is is uh, is directed towards. I mean, it's like a can't that's a can't lose situation there. They already gotten rid of you. Might as well ask you know, inquire about, uh, you know, asking them, ask them to investigate on, on, uh, on, uh, you being laid off. And there's people with less time than you who are still have the job. The only thing they can tell you is, is, you know, give you some sort of answer. It may not be the one, it may, it may not be the one that you would like, but you at least have an answer. If you don't say anything, then they are probably not going to come to you. You know, they're probably not going to come to you uh, with any explanation, you know, and uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see any harm in, in to, uh, in, to uh, either inquire about it directly or ask them to uh, investigate the situation and give the explanation that the people who are still on the job came after me. Yeah. You know, the that would be a logical thing. Yeah. Much Go ahead. much obliged on that one. She same person, same listener. She also had one other question. She said um there was a posting or at least a, a verbal announcement that there was a possible opening of another position. This victim uh acknowledged that she was interested uh when she talk to another department person say, oh yeah, I'd, you know, be interested in this position and try to get more information. They were supposed to post it on the internal network so that she could apply. They never posted it. She kept going back and saying, oh yeah, I'm interested in this position. I'd like to apply. It hasn't been posted. And the white people, uh, it seemed it was more than one white person. It was, oh man, so sorry. Yep, we'll get right on that, right on. Or they would say, oh, it's not posted. Don't even worry about it. Or I think she said even one time, they said, oh, I didn't know that you were interested. Now I know that you're interested. I'll get right on it. We'll get it posted so that you can apply. And then it never got posted. Uh, and so she said, is it worth it to continue uh, inquiring when it seems that they don't really want to give you this position? They're not even posting it so that you can apply. 
that might be deliberate. It may be deliberate, and uh, they are probably may be expecting her to uh, be exhausted. To whereas, okay, uh, I I figure they don't want me to get this, and I'll stop inquiring. <sighs> Uh, I would, I would, I would just say I would, you know, I would inquire, I would get inquire about it in a, in a in a more direct fashion and ask them to, uh, uh, can I have that in in writing? Can I have uh, whatever uh, comments that you are making? Can I have it in writing? You know, and uh, if they just ignore me. Because that's essentially what they apparently have been doing. Then uh, maybe I'll leave it. I'll probably leave it alone because they 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 have basically have gave me their answer by not answering. Like if that, that makes any sense. That does make sense. That does make sense. I think for that one, uh, I also suggested uh, that you could ask. Uh, the position is not posted. Is there any way that I can apply for this position, even though it's not posted, uh, since it seems to be a slowdown with that process taking place? But logical as well. Uh, if these are going to be the very uh, people that are responsible for who ends up being assigned to that position, then you might already have your answer. That's the same logic that I was following. Uh, the number 641-715-3640, the code 564 Nine four three pounds. Uh, Thomas in New York. Yes, sir. Good evening, Gus. Good evening, Mr. Firefighter, and all the rest of the callers. Um, quite a bit this week. Oh man, I told you last week that I was um putting these grills on the windows, and um. These grills were very meticulously um, measured um, by an outside company that came in and, you know, an architectural firm. And, um, you know, they fit the windows specifically to the, you know, very small fraction of an inch. And um, the guy I work with, he put them all in the wrong places. So, you know, I had it perfectly done until he took over and, you know, he just measured it wrong. Either way, I had to go behind him and fix all of these um, pictures, I mean, these um, grills all week, um, you know, um, under the scrutiny of my terrorists, of course. Like, I put them in the wrong places, but finally I found the ones that didn't match. You know, I had to go through every office, remeasure everything, and finally I found a couple that went here that should have went there and, I got it to work, so um, I was given the task of hanging pictures with the boss's daughter. Terrible. Um, 68 pictures in total we took from the old office. Some of them was, wasn't even hung up. They were just like in various storage areas, and they decided they wanted to take them all. And um, she decided she wanted to hang all of these pictures up. So, um, um you know, now this isn't including the partner offices who still have their pictures that was on their walls and their offices at the old building, their diplomas, degrees, awards, artifacts they stole during their vacations around the world, you know, 
with plus their pictures and um, artwork. So, um, you know, I haven't even gotten to that yet. Um, but, um, you know, like one partner alone got 12 pictures, um, and he wants me to take um, a few hours next week out of my day to um, sit down and strategically, um, as he um, strategically places where he wants me to put them up at, um, something to look forward to. And um, he's a racist, um, outright. Um, so I had to separate, as per the, what's his um, daughter's um, directive, I had to um, separate these pictures, group them against the whole wall, spread them out based on the theme of the pictures. So um, we had 38 pictures that had a New York theme alone that, you know, um, either way, she walked around, um, the, you know, the office is like almost 30,000 square feet, you know, had me holding pictures on this part of the wall. No, grab that picture, hold that there. You know, let me think, you know, while I'm holding this heavy picture, printing picture on the wall. And uh, finally, she um, had me lay them where she wanted me to hang them at. So the next day I came in and I just, you know, started hanging pictures between doing my own work, which, um, you know, no one did for me. Now, um, the whole time I'm working with the boss's daughter this week, of course, my terrorist, um, she wants to uh, allude that she's really the one in charge of um, the nigger. So, um, you know, she, she's constantly, um, Thomas, get over here, you know, and, you know, pulling me away from her, which is pissing the daughter off. And the daughter's like getting pissed at me instead of her. It's like, you know how white people do. So, um, either way, um, good thing I had a job, um, a few years ago where I worked at a law firm. I, I, you know, I think I talked about it on the show, but, um, one of the things we had to do was hang pictures. So I had experience doing it, you know, measure down from the ceiling, get everything lined up perfectly, um, hang them up. Um, you know, um, I thought it went well. I, you know, at least I thought it did, right? So um, about to go home, got my coat on. Uh, when I say go home, I'm leaving the office, but I still have to go to the FedEx store, the UPS store, into the post office. Stand online for an hour with the mail to get the certified mail stamped. Like it's like I still have work to do, you know. But I get paid for it, so you know. But I'm just saying it's part of my requirement. So the daughter sees me leaving, and she's like, "Um, let let me walk around with you so I can look at everything before you go." And I'm thinking I got I've been done with this for hours. Now you want to you see me with my coat on? Um, so we're walking around, and she's you know stopping here. Oh, I don't know. You know, maybe we'll switch this tomorrow, you know, making little notes for herself. So finally, you know, we get back to where we started. And um, I see my terrorist um, who made it a priority, like I said, to assert her authority. She sees me with my coat on walking around with the daughter. She says, um, Tom, now let me give you a backdrop to this. Um, the company that was there before we moved there was a major shipping company. Um, when I say shipping, like they own some huge tinker ships um, that carry freight. So this must have been their corporate office because the office is beautiful. I mean, totally modern. Um, but um, this must have been at one point their corporate office. So, um, you know, they had left behind all these pictures of ships, right? Um, they're all in the closet. All these different um, ships that they own that um, 
you know, I guess, you know, take these ships, you know, freight all around the world. So um, the terrorists asked me to throw this stuff out. Uh, and, um, of course, the daughter's like, well, let me look at them. I might want to keep the frames. And they're, they're in very nice frames, you know, very big, you know, pictures. You know, they're, they're not art. They're, they're actually photos. So um, she says, no, I think I like these. You know what? Take all those pictures down on this wall and hang these up tomorrow. And I'm like, you serious? Like, you know, thinking too much. I done measured all this stuff. You want me to take all this, about 20-some pictures, and put these 20-some pictures there. So, I, you know, I go in the next day, I do it. You know, had to remeasure everything from the ceiling down, from the floor up, keep the space between the pictures, right, you know, because that's, you know, how you do it. And um, either way, um, you know, so the pictures that I took down, after I'm finished, she wants me to walk around so we could place these in places, which means I have to move other pictures. It just took a whole other day. And, um, you know, like I said, um, the daughter to me is, you know, she was a nice type of nasty white person, very refined racist, um, you know, young, young and refined. Um, so, um, um, man, um, so either way, I hung up all these pictures. I mean, there's a picture on almost every square inch of the wall, and it's never seen an office with this many pictures, Gus. I mean, you would laugh at it. So on top of that, she wants me to be in another guy that I work with and to move um, her father's desk. She wants to surprise him and change his office around. She's some type of interior decorator. So she takes this stuff very serious, right? So... Um, this desk is like 200 years old, pure oak, like a thousand pounds. Me and this guy are struggling to move it on one side of the office to the next one. He has a huge office. You know what I'm saying? And then finally we get it situated to where she wants it. She calls the IT guy. He has to go and take all the computers, move all of that stuff over, put that. And of course, every time he does that, he, they require my help. So, because um, they don't lift nothing, I have to do all the lifting. So I go and put all this stuff over there, um, and he comes in the next day and he hates it, so we had to go put it back to where it was the next day. Unbelievable. Um, so at this office, um, I'm never at my desk, um, the desk that's allocated to me. You know, I'm there maybe out of the whole day a half an hour um, in interviews. You know, in uh, introverts, you know, just to check my email, make sure everything is smooth, go back to, you know, like they put me by the front so that she can constantly come and get me. And the receptionist to have access to me. But my job, all the machinery, everything I use, all my utensils, everything that I get paid to do is toward the back of the office. So I decided um, I'm sick of being everybody's own call boy. I'm going to... Um, stay toward the back of the office. I'm going to stay busy, but I'm going to be doing my job, you know, but I'm not going to stay at my desk too much because um, when I'm there, my, you know, all she's doing, come over here, come see, you know, call me up all day. And it's just some, something petty that she should be doing herself. Bring this over there. And it's like everyone else brings their own stuff places, you know, like, you know, I'm her, I'm like her assistant. I'm not her assistant. She's a secretary. But what can I say? So, um, she had the IT guy 
install Alexa on my desk with a screen and everything so she could see me. You know, like, so she could look for me. This is, and the, it rings so that when the bell, like, like I said, my job that I need to do is toward the back. The freight elevator, everything comes in from the back. So when I'm at the front, there will be a bell that allows me. But I'm never there. I'm always to the back. I could get the guy. Either way, Gus, you know. Either way, I got this um, um, Alexa thing on my desk now. So I'm pretty much training my replacement. And um, she comes in. If she can't get me about a phone and she can't find me on this Alexa thing, she comes and looks for me, you know. And you know, like when a cop, you know, you see a black person get stopped by a cop and then the black person runs. And when the cops catch that dude, you know, they're going to beat him down because they made him run. You know, that's how she is. She comes at me like, you know, she's so pissed that she had to come looking for me. So sometimes she passed the person she wanted me to give something to looking for me just to hand it to me to bring it to Like, it's like, man, you know. So um, either way, uh, it's never nothing important, you know. So one day she calls me on my cell phone. And I'm looking like, she calling me? I said, I just let it ring. So I finished doing what I was doing, and I purposely walked past her desk, you know, just to see what she wanted, you know, you know, just to so we should see if she could say something. And she had me to say, screaming in the, in, the, in, the, in the owner standing right there. I was looking for you. I called you on your cell phone, and you didn't answer you ought to have your cell phone on at all times. So when I call you, you answer it. This is this is ridiculous. And you're to set up your voicemail. How do who has a voice doesn't have a cell phone and doesn't have a voicemail set up? I said I'm not setting up a voicemail. I don't do that. You're to do it. So I wanted to go in, which I would have did, but the owner's there, so I can't. You know, I mean, I you know, but never answering my phone for her. Y'all want, I've had jobs with phones. Y'all want, to, y'all want me to um, answer a phone. Y'all pay my phone bill or y'all provide the phone. And you don't tell me what to do with my personal phone. And I went and spoke to, um, um, you know, the head of accounting and asked them to, the, you know, does, do they pay the phone bill for anyone here? And she was like, yeah, you know, anyone. So I said, well, how come she's asking me? She said, she, you know, that's against, you know, the policy that doesn't exist. There's no policy. But either way, um, so emails, um, using my email writing skills more than ever now. I'm at this new office uh, because, you know, uh, you're not around people to talk to them. So, you know, and, and also, you know, now that my duties have doubled um, and now that I have to do what the receptionist responsibilities used to be, I find that um, she, she doesn't have anything to do anymore but to sit at the desk because, she has to actually let people in who come off the elevator that doesn't have an ID, so she's not to leave her desk. She's calling me to do everything, you know, stuff that I feel like, yo, listen, do that when the day is over, when you are able to, you know, at 5 o'clock, between 5 and 5.30, you can get up and do what you need to do. Why are you calling me? So one thing she's doing that's pissing me off is she doesn't want to deal with the terrorists, which I understand. I don't want to deal with her either, but you keep calling me to come and deal with her for you. You're asking me to ask her stuff that you should be asking her. So I start sending emails um, because uh, on top of everything, um, I feel like she's being very incompetent. So now that I'm doing your job and I come to you and tell you what I need, 
right? And then you don't order it because you, you don't want to call her up and ask her for it because, you know, she's going to put you through the, why do we need that? And da 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 And, you know, which you don't want to deal with. But, hey, I got to deal with her. So then we end up not having things, and then it looks like I'm not doing my job. So I started sending emails to protect myself. And uh, also I CC my terrorist on everything so that I can make sure that she's doing her job because I can't, I'm not taking a hit for that, you know. I'm not dealing with her more than I have to. So um, either way, um, it, it just um, becomes an issue. And I hate to do this because she's black, but, you know, it is what it is, you know. Um, now, we haven't had an HR person since October. The head of HR is the terrorist, so it's not even like you could go to someone and um, deal with anything. Um, now, uh, I'm coming down to the end. Um, at the other building, remember I told you I used to go across the street. They had rented space to a guy who used to be a partner. And this is the gentleman who last week I told you um, was sitting there watching women undress at the Intercontinental Hotel. People paying $5,000 a night so for him to sit there and watch them strip. And um, he tells me a joke today uh, when he walks past me. Now, he's becoming just like the, the French lady. He's always around me. He wants to talk about his incredible life. And, you know, he used to be some type of tennis star. And, you know, his client was Andre Agassi. And, you know, he wants to tell me all these stories. He's becoming like the French lady, like uh, trying to avoid him. You know what I'm saying? But um, he says, the difference between my paycheck and my penis is I don't have to beg my wife to blow it. And uh, that was his joke today. And I'm with my line, Gus. Thank you. What was the joke again? Let me hear it again. He said, the difference between my paycheck and my penis is I don't have to beg my wife to blow it. Wow. Context of white supremacy gets to the genital level so quickly so so quickly with white men and white women i have found it gets to the genital level so quickly uh i took notes let's see 38 pictures did i hear that correctly 38 new york themed pictures because she had different categories it was 38 new york themed Or he might be muted. Uh, yes, sir. Yeah, 38, Brooklyn Bridge, Empire State Building, Chrysler Building when it was being built. Brooklyn Bridge, when it, you know, just different pictures that had a New York theme, something, the Museum of Natural History, the MoMA, you know, all the music, every, every building they ever made, they had a picture of. Unbelievable. Time and energy uh, in the system of racism, white supremacy, uh, instead of uh, haggling over, you know, how much fruit is being purchased and uh, trying to bother him while he's dicing it. We'll have him moving around our dozens of pictures about New York City for the day, only to come and scrap all that the next day and put in some different ones that we found thrown in. The Mr. Fuller talked about that all the time. I'm sure those frames alone probably cost thousands of dollars uh, if the building was all modern and and all of that, not to mention uh, the actual uh, Prince, Mr. Fuller talked about that, that the thing that matters more than anything is what that white woman is doing. She's ch running all around the building. I got a package to give to Tom and I just ran Tom over to get to Nigra Thomas. 
Where are you at? I was looking for you. I called you on your phone. That is more important than anything else. They don't care about all that other crap. They just left that behind. Thousand and a half. We don't care about that. Pictures, whatever. whatever. Brand new building. Fussing at the Negras. He said, going around the world and stealing artifacts from Negras, probably. That is the number one pastime, bar none. Policy and procedure, I said that before, that can save you in so many different instances. And in my opinion, I say one of the crucial aspects of workplace racism is uh, maintaining your composure, right? Managing your emotions. Knowing policy and procedure, I think, can a whole lot of times help us from getting upset on the job, losing our composure and just getting really emotional with that phone uh, situation. It's been a whole lot of black people uh, that I've heard, some of them that have uh, called into the cows where whites have done the same thing surveillance got Alexa on the desk and I'm going to call and nag you on the phone and send you text messages on your personal phone. Wait a minute. This is my personal phone. I don't have to answer this. I don't even know how you got this number, but I certainly don't have to, you know, respond to you. Some of them even doing this uh, after business hours. What is the policy and procedure regarding dialing you on your personal phone or whatever that once you know that policy you don't have to get irate and curse anybody out you can just boop, oh, okay i know the po-. you might not even need to say anything just you know i'm going to continue to not answer my phone because i know policy and procedure and that's that you know uh the antics i guess i can only say that that is to be expected uh in the system of white supremacy i've experienced that uh, myself uh, and I suspect a number uh, of black people have had at least one white person where they just they love that, especially like the the public antics, like the owner is there and I really get to to go in and for the nigger, you're going to set up that voicemail right now. What are you doing? Got people waiting around to really dig in uh, on somebody you have like, that that right there is the primary joy for racist man racist woman. You can track that all the way back to incidents in the life of a slave girl that we're reading right now. Uh, some of those very same antics. Uh, at, that's 200 years ago, 1861, 150, more than 150 years ago. Uh, the exact same uh, antics uh, of just making up reasons to fuss at black people and yell at black people to flog and punish. That's racist, man. Why we get up in the morning? Why we get all these boats to sail all around the world? Fuss at, abuse, terrorize black people. That is the system that we're in, either I'm correct or not. Uh, much obliged, Thomas, uh, in New York. Does anybody else have Alexa? I have. Oh, I have. I'm oh, sorry, Gus. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, I, I have more. Oh, I had a win this week. I, I do want to. Let's hear a win. Put, Let's hear put a in win. a win. Okay. So um, I've noticed since I've been at this new spot, um, all the accountants are coming up to me with um, their FedEx request and their mailing request. Now, I do the mill, but I never had to make the mill for them before. Like, this is, ah, you just handed me documents and giving me the address where you want. So I'm like, this didn't work like this before. It's been, like, baffling me. Like, what's what's different here? So um, I sent to put it in the email. You know, um, uh, you know, as per, I started, well, I, every time I do it, I send an email to the person who I did it for, 
you know, detail with the number, everything that was used. So I started CCing my terrorist one because I know that this isn't right. She comes running out like um, like my man Hussein Bolt. Who told you to do that? I said, oh, everybody is. I said, man, this one out. I, I can't even give you names. Be right back. She wrote an email to everyone. Thomas' job is not to do that, you know. Thomas' job is not find a secretary. That's their job. He's not taking responsibility for these documents. Da da da. da. And um, that ended that. So I thought that that was a victory um, on that behalf. Great way to use the email. Uh, we talked about that as well. Awesome. Figuring out ways to solve problems, and generally, there is a white person who can get things solved quickly. Uh, on the job, that's another way that you can refine your workplace uh, workplace racism code uh, efficiency, being able to solve problems as quickly as possible. Uh, if this is a problem that can be solved with one email to one white person and they can solve this problem in five minutes, that is preferable to the solution that's going to take two weeks. And, you know, 50 emails and a conference and all that. Let's streamline the process uh number again 641-715-3640 the code 564-943-POUND press star 61 if you would like to participate if we have any other folks who have alexa spying on them on the job I would be interested to hear about that as well. Like that would be a bit unnerving. I mean, I, I already said we're under surveillance. I mean, shouldn't be a surprise. We're under surveillance all the time. I guess that's, I guess that's a little bit different than just having a camera there all the time. But wow, if anybody else is is having that sort of experience in a workplace setting, I would appreciate uh, details. Uh, other folks uh, dialed in. If you have commentary, uh, line should be open. Proceed. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Can I be heard? Uh, I guess we'll... Wait, I'm not sure. I'm sorry? Go ahead. The lady can go first. Oh, right. Uh, hi. Um, hi, Gus and guests. Uh, this is Drathomania. Um, I was just listening to uh, Thomas' uh, story about he has gone through like so much and it's just kind of comedic the way he tells the story and the way he's describing his boss it's like she is the um she is basically the prototype of a narcissistic psychopath i mean i have never in my life heard of anybody um terrorizing somebody to the point where you know you put a lexus and just she just all the descriptions that i've heard of a narcissistic psychopath she fits that uh, description to like to to the uh, uh, for lack of a better uh, uh analogy to a t which is a um a metaphor um i just feel um really sorry for um thomas that he has has to uh, continue to deal with this um you know type of terrorism on his job it's just i i i i commend him um for keeping his patience um for not uh acting up and losing his temper um 
I would just suggest that, you know, Thomas, you take care of yourself because I know you um, talked on the show before that uh, how um, your blood pressure has gone up, um, and I can see why. Um, going through the type of abuse that you're going through, having someone call you on the phone and just yelling at you like a total maniac at every chance they get, it's just, wow, it's, it's unbelievable. It's, it's really unbelievable. Um, as far as what I'm, um, what I've gone through, I just started a new position, uh, yesterday and, um, uh, it's not really something that, you know, um, a dream job or anything like that, but, you know, I have to, um, you know, uh, make a living, have to pay bills and things like that. So I'm just, you know, taking what I can until I can do better. Hopefully I can do better. Um, you know, cause I've gone through situations where I've been smeared and, um, you know, have, um, been smeared and, you know, um, and things have been said about me to basically try to prevent me from getting different positions and things like that. So that's the type of um, terrorism that I've, I've had to deal with um, and I'm still dealing with today. Um, but what I am learning uh, is that if I, um, like Thomas, I'm trying, well, I'm not just trying, I'm doing, I'm learning to um, respond as opposed to reacting. You know, because I can see um, in hindsight now, I can see how um, my behaviors um, of just reacting. And I think that um, as a result of listening to the show, the cows, um, which which was the, um, I guess, my introduction to uh, the whole uh, significance of, um, you know, being uh, aware of how uh, I react or respond um, on jobs and things like that. And then just taking it even um, further by looking at it, how I've been um, reacting all throughout my life and just basically seeing how that has um, been, you know, uh, an issue, you know. So um, now that I've been made aware of that, I have been um, doing things to, um, you know, be a little bit more, a whole lot more productive. I'm not perfect. Um, I wanted to, you know, react on the job today, but, you know, I really didn't. I, I just been kind of like just, um, just, um, kind of stopping myself and thinking more not, you know, cause I noticed that, um, a lot of times, um, we, in me, and I can only speak for myself, can be on autopilot. We just, you know, react you know, based on the ways that we, it's just, it just without thinking. So I'm just learning how to just stop and think and process things um, more than I've ever done before in my life. And I had a situation where the boss came and uh, first day of work, mind you, um, I work with, um, you know, non-white, um, um, black, um, majority of um, black people on the job. The boss, she is um, a non-white uh I guess you would say uh, non-white uh, oriental or um, persuasion. I guess that's what you, I'm not sure that's what, that's what you would call them or Asian, what have you. I think um, oriental might be the wrong phrasing. Um, so she comes in and um, she's the boss and she says, uh, yeah, somebody said, oh, you know, she did it very loud and very, um, unprofessionally. Uh, yeah, somebody came and one of the students said that you, um, that somebody with glasses um, said something smart to them. And um, I looked up. I was like, she's looking at me. She said, ah. She looked at me and said, ah, it was you. 
So she made, basically, she made an accusation and tried to say that I did something. I spoke out in a place to one of the students. She said, yeah, one of the students came in here and they said that you said something. And I said, um, I just looked at her because what I'm learning is that, like, I, you know, I don't have to argue. I don't have to uh, defend. Or I don't have to explain, like, you know, or justify my behavior. If I know that I didn't do something, a lot of times when, you you know, you're giving them ammunition when you're arguing and justifying and explaining and defending yourself. So I just looked at it, and I was like, you know, I didn't even say nothing. The rest of the people there on the floor with me, they defended me. They was like, she was very nice to everybody and boom, boom, boom. So I just like, what I did, I just switched the subject. I switched the subject, subject to another subject pertaining work because that's what I'm learning to do. Like the majority of my conversation on jobs is about work. I try not to get into too much personal. You know, I just try not to. And thanks to the cows, I've learned that. So. I just kind of like um, de-escalated that situation. I didn't feed into it. I didn't give it any fuel. I didn't um, give it any fire. And I just, uh, you know, allowed it to just die down. And, you know, that was that. So, and also, um, speaking of uh, the um, sports situation, um, it just tied right into because I just started listening to I'm almost finished now listening to and I know you had the guests on your show a while back um, from, um, what is it, The $40 Million Slave? Is that the name of the book, Gus? Anthony, Pro- oh, uh, William Roden. William Roden wrote $40 Million yeah. Slaves. He has not been on the program, but I am a fan and oh, do try to okay. include audio segments of him regularly. Victim of Racism, William Roden. Right. Well, they, I'm listening to that book, and they um, um, the chapter that I'm on now in the book is um they was talking about he was speaking about um Michael Jordan, and how um Michael Jordan how um he was being uh he you know he was mutual when it came down to anything dealing with um, racism. He was just like, kind of just like uh, getting by and wouldn't stand, you know, take a stand on on, on a uh, subject one way or another. But the guy um, that, um, I, I think he was saying that, I don't know what the guy's name is, if it was Prouder or I'm not, I can't Porter or something like that. He was supposed to partner with him and um, he basically told Michael Lennon that he didn't want to partner with him and um, although he was, um, you know, this big sports fan and was making all this money for him, they basically treated him like OJ, like, um, you know, uh, how Jay-Z says, still nigga, like, he basically got him all that money, and he, he, even though he was making all this money for them and um, doing so much for the sports, uh, they still treated him at the end of the day, the guy said in the book that they took, this guy fired him even though he was supposed to be this superstar, when they found no more use for him anymore, they fired him and like basically took, did it somewhat like taking him back and out in the backyard like a dog and shot him in the head and that was it. Like, and after all that he did for this company and they still treated him and made all that money for them, they still did him like that. So that was, to me, it just kind of fit into your, um, your, uh, uh, your, your clips about uh, workplace racism and sports. And it just kind of, to me, it just kind of tied in, you know, with that whole topic. And um, that's all I have to share, Gus. And thanks for allowing me, um, thanks for listening and allowing me to share. Yes, ma'am. I am delighted to hear, well, I'll retract that. I'm pleased to hear 
that you um, were able to manage your emotions on the job, especially when an accusation comes up, because I know that can be uh, one that a lot of people, if you're being falsely accused, uh, can be infuriating. Um, but to just remain calm, watching your nonverbals. I know Emmy is a big proponent of that, watching your nonverbals, that even if you don't verbally say anything, that sometimes your posturing and your face uh, sometimes can say a lot. So watching both of those so that we can remain neutral and just moving on to other workplace related topics so that we can move on from this minor kerfuffle uh, that can be spectacular effort and just maintaining your composure uh, on the job and it can be challenging but and again just knowing that that sort of thing is likely to happen uh, in a system of racism not being surprised about it and just keeping your wits uh, can be very very helpful breathing and I did also want to say uh, that I concur a thousand percent with the health check-in and all the terrorism that Thomas in New York and all of us experience on the job, but Thomas in New York specifically also talking about his heart pressure problems and health problems and and being in such a stressful environment that absolutely is important. Something we should all be mindful of uh, that that stress does take a toll and that we should be doing things to try to replenish and heal from that as best we can. Uh, the mail caller who yielded the floor to Draftomania. Much obliged, sir. Did you want to share? Uh, yes, sir. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. All right. First, I'm going to go ahead and apologize to Thomas. I came in while he was speaking, and it is quite unfortunate that you are going through all the things you are going through at your current job. And unfortunately, I can empathize. So I have two stories. So the first one happened two Mondays ago. Was it? Yeah, two Mondays ago. Um, you know, I was subbing in a different department because um, uh, another worker in that department is on fraternity leave. And recently in that department, someone was... Uh, fired for, for, uh, for what for reason I do not know. Uh, but the major reason was the person who was on paternity leave because he just had a child. I am the only black person in my, no, not the only black person, but only black person who was a planner in my department and someone in this other department. Anyway, um, two Mondays ago, it's the beginning of the week. And one of the things that this particular department does is that it has a quick rundown of how the week is going to go. Before this meeting starts, the director of the department, um, who oversees three departments, including mine, including the one I subbed in, that I've been subbing in, she comes up to me and she says that she heard from a different department that's not under her, but really across the, uh, the, the desk from where I'm subbing, that apparently I was, I was interpreting electrical permits. Now, me, I am not an uh, electrical engineer. Um, I am not an electrician, um, though I am trained in mechanical engineering, and that is my degree, but that was not what I was doing. Um, basically, I answer zoning questions, and that's what I was, that was, that's what I was asked to do. And, this, and my director comes over, a white woman, and she asks me, well, I heard that you were interpreting this, this, and this, and I'm not really sure what she's talking about. So I say to her, well, um, sorry, I've, did, I've done something wrong. 
And then I asked the question, you're saying I've done something, but it's a big, it's a bit vague what you're referring to. Can you give me a little bit more detail so I can make sure not to do it again in the future? For which she responds, I'm not sure. I will get back to you. So that was very, very interesting. During, um, during the same week, last week, towards um, for the last three days of the week, I was not feeling well. So basically, I called in sick. I didn't go on for the last three days of the week, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Um, now, there's a woman. I still have my immediate responsibilities in my department. I'm a, 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 a transit planner. And um, I have all the cell phone numbers of all the people in my department so we can communicate directly, especially when we're out sick. And when I called out sick the second day out of the three, the woman who is the administrative assistant in the department eventually ends up texting me, because uh, we're all in a group text together, the four people that make up my, my department, including the, um, the administrative assistant and my manager. And she responds to me calling in sick the second day, thank you for not coming in and not getting the rest of us sick which is easily a very tacky response and not the first time that she's done that. So Friday comes, I call in sick. And for the most part, I did not plan on even leaving the house. But then um, I wanted to pick up something from work. Unfortunately for me, um, I needed my checkbook and I didn't have my checkbook in my car where I usually keep it. So I had to go into my office, even though I prefer not to go in there. And as I'm going to get my checkbook out of my office, my manager talks to me for a moment to, you know, wondering how I'm doing because I've called out three days sick in a row. And I, and I respond, well, I'm doing okay. I'm, I'm still mobile. I'm not dying. I'm just not, you know, I'm not feeling well, so I called out sick. I'm not dying. And um, he doesn't think too much of it. Just reminded me that if I need to take up a fourth day, I need to get a doctor's note, which I'm fully aware of. Now, as I'm walking back out of my office, the woman who is the administrative assistant is looking at me like I just walked in with the plague. And, um, well, you're not supposed to be here. You're not supposed to be here, she's constantly saying to me. And then I turn to her and ask her, what do I have? And then eventually she responds to the question, I do not know. It is at that point that I walk out of my office and I head about and I go about my business. Fast forward to Monday, um, this past Monday. Um, I'm sitting at my desk. It's early in the morning before I'm about to head to go um, do my subbing responsibilities in the other department. The administrative assistant comes into my office and requests a couple of tasks of me because there's a project that we needed to finish, which we did not finish this week. And um, alone asked me to help her complete the task, which is fine because I'm familiar with the work. She asked me what were my symptoms um, from the previous week. I respond, I prefer to keep that to myself. As far as I was concerned, she was just trying to find an excuse to get into my personal business and, um, and, and maybe, or maybe say, well, I told you, Charles, I told you, you should have been here. And again, she doesn't know what I had. All right, so fast forward to about uh, today. Um, I am, um, my, my wife comes home from work, and the moment she comes home, I need to take her off somewhere because she wants to go hang out with a friend. I, I just drop her off. As we're driving, 
um, I'm, I'm having a conversation with my wife, and I'm telling her how my um, how my last two days at work have gone. And I tell her how it seems like the woman who was the administrative assistant has had a real pissy attitude with me, a, a little bit, and a, a tone, and a just look like I'm gonna smack this nigga. Um, I do my best not to respond. I do my best to keep my composure and not, you know, you know, get emotional or angry because her tone and her uh, demeanor towards me is, is apparent to me as far as I'm concerned. And then as I say this to my wife, my wife just responds to me, well, did you forget? You checked her last week and earlier in the week. And my wife was right. I forgot that I checked this woman. So going back to what Thomas was talking about earlier in, um, in his uh, story, um, and of course what Gus said about being very clear about the protocols and all the procedures for how I should conduct myself at work, I probably need to be a, a little bit more um, cognizant of how I deal with this particular woman at work and also come up with strategies on how I'm going to deal with her for the foreseeable future because, again, I work with this woman and um, this is the kind of behavior that she's constantly exhibiting for, well, um, I'm sure she knows why she's doing what she's doing. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and stop right there. <laughs> wow. Uh, much obliged. Uh, that is a great question. Great. Always advocate that. Stay in the question lane. That can take some practice, just kind of getting in the flow of being able to ask excellent logical questions uh on the spot you know right when you're in the moment in the situation but when you come in and oh my god the nigger is gonna infect us with ebola what do i have hmm. excellent as well uh in terms of your uh, i'm having a couple hearing i'm hearing somebody else's phone in the background there okay, we there we go. Yeah, yeah I was that same thing disrupted my train of thought briefly. But uh yeah, I also thought uh that your wife, uh excellent reminder about that white people do not like being upstaged or embar embarrassed, challenged, uh having any of their errors pointed out uh on the job by a nigra ever. Uh so definitely that was such a uh, I was I'm so glad that I'm muted regularly because I was cracking up laughing when you said like she had a, a look like she wanted to smack a Negro. Like, wow, that is an intense descriptor. Uh, unfortunately, I'm sure many of us can relate to that distinct look from a white woman, no less. Wow. <laughs> the intensity of a I guess I would be very mindful because uh, that could continue. Uh, it's been my experience like those white women can be very vindictive uh, in the workplace and that vindictiveness is not something that is short lived. Uh, so if this incident happened this month, like we could be talking June and she's still, you know, looking to get to get back uh, because of what was what happened at New Year. So, wow. Um, yeah. I would also add to that, um, you know, I forgot something that happened a couple months ago. Actually, no, I do a, 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 what is it called, a volunteership at a local high school in my neighborhood. And I work, it's a mostly, it's a majority black school, but there are white kids and other um, ethnicities and um racial classifications inside the class, and one of the kids, a high schooler, a white kid, said that um, one of his teachers is racist to him, and I asked, there's a white kid now, and I asked him, well, 
what color is your t-shirt? He said, black. And, and he said that, you know, she only calls me out because I'm the only white kid. And in that moment, I did not have a response. And I'm thinking about what I'm going to do next time he does this, because I think this is the second or third time that he says something like that in front of me. And this time it really caught me off guard. And to me, this story, aside from the first tool I said, is an example of sometimes, you know, you might not have a good response for how to deal with things. And it's okay not to always have the perfect response. And just sometimes you just have to, you know, try when you can and don't worry about being perfect. You know, sometimes when, you know, I, I make this mistake all the time, where sometimes I want to respond a certain way, don't think of a good response until later, and think to myself, like, oh, I'm not going to be able to fight back against anyone or stand up against anyone. And this is a constant reminder that um, that this is a constant process and it's a skill that you must build upon through every interaction that you have with white people, that you might not have a perfect response, but a response or even a try it's how you build the skill and the courage to actually defend yourself against these people when they engage in these kind of behaviors. Absolutely. You absolutely get better with practice uh, in terms of engaging whites and just asking questions. You will get better and it really will start to get easier because uh, you'll just be in a pattern of, of following logic and paying attention uh, to what they're talking about in the given situation to know what are really important questions uh, that can, should be asked. Uh, let's see, other folks much, oh, and that's white child. I love that illustration, white child. It is racist man, racist woman, racist child. And we have a racist child, how old was this little fella? I think he was about roughly 14 or 15 years old. These are freshmen, I believe, in the high school program. Okay. He's in the 14, 15 years. I think Mr. Fuller has said by the time they're about 15, 16, they got a PhD in white supremacy. In my view, that is ultra sophisticated uh, to have a 14-year-old. Uh, that's pretty much white man uh, said, oh, yeah. My teacher is racist. We got this Negro over here, and he practices racism against me. All that. Wow. From a 14-year-old. It's worse than that. Um, this, um, that day, this past Tuesday, when I was in the school with them, it was, we were talking about colleges and what you want to do after high school. And one of the things he said is that he wants to um, become a SWAT police officer. I probably don't need to say more after that. Darren Wilson in training. How about that? They just, uh, Laquan McDonald officer, I think he got 81 months uh, today. That's, you know, hey, they, they normally don't even convict you for that. You normally get a Tootsie Roll and a promotion uh, for shooting niggers in Chicago. But 81 months he got for Laquan uh, McDonald's killing. Uh, Mr. I think it's Van Dyke. That's his name, Van Dyke. He got 81 months. That was the sentence. And his compadres, they were found not guilty of covering up, but he wants to follow in their footsteps why and i got a racist teacher as motivation racist black teacher as motivation to go out and protect and serve and get my nigger knocker context of white supremacy uh other folks uh who dialed in that we have missed totally stacy in the uk incidentally uh trying to dial in there seems to be some trouble 
uh, getting her with us as well, but she is chiming and trying to join us live also. Uh, it's 3.11 a.m. in London, and she's trying to dial into the cows for workplace racism. Uh, other folks who dialed in that we missed totally, if you have commentary, proceed. Yes, can I be heard? Greetings, Princess. Uh, yes, I was just calling in. Uh, good evening, everyone. Um, I had heard uh, Thomas's uh, story, and I, too, can definitely understand um, uh, my previous job. As you guys know, I, I shared a lot about that in regards to what I had to deal with. Luckily, I was able to, towards the end, maneuver my way out of that uh, position and into something a whole lot less stressful. Uh, so I wish him luck with that. Uh, hopefully, he will be able to um, attempt to do the same. Um, depending on the circumstances, because uh, it's not easy out here. I think a lot of people uh, tend to uh, pass judgment and um, uh, critique others in their workplace situations, or or at least to me, a lot of times I, I get the impression that people um, aren't as considerate or compassionate to other people. Um, that may call in to share. Um, but nonetheless, um, as far as um, my current situation on the new job, um, I would just say for the last caller, the female caller, uh, who was uh, trying to get information as far as, um, I think it was a situation where she was talking about uh, they were trying to keep a position that she was uh, trying to apply for in order to get out of another department because they were harassing her. I had a similar uh, situation and at my um, previous job, and um, I would probably advise her to, she may want to check to see whether or not there are any laws against that, um, as well as policy. Uh, I know from my former employer, uh, it specifically stated uh, that it was mandatory for them to post uh, those internal job openings. I happened to take a picture um, of the initial one uh, when I was trying to transfer initially from uh, that um, particular store location at my former job. And what wind up happening was or location or team members an opportunity to be able to apply. So that way people uh, who've been with the company aren't being passed up because that can open them up for liability as far as discriminating. And so um, when that had happened with me, um, I had, you know, recorded it on my phone and, and, you know, gotten documentation, but I also had taken a picture of the the policy on that. So uh, that might be something that uh, she may want to look into um, to, you know, 
see whether or not she wants to pursue it. It's kind of like a mixed bag because uh, you got to straddle both sides of the uh, fence. Uh, I know that's a metaphor, but um, you got to play both sides uh, because it's almost like damn if you do, damn if you don't. Um, And um, I would just say as far as with my new job, the only thing uh, I did uh, read a uh, majority of uh, the employees' uh, 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 manual. Um, one particular thing that uh, stood out with me is um, uh, this particular job, uh, because it's in uh, it's uh, telecommunications major um, telecommun telecommunications. Uh, uh, employer and so it's a a secure site and um so they have a policy uh i was reading some of the information on um you know data breaches and stuff like that and they had indicated uh because i believe uh they are currently under uh consent decree uh, because they had a, a data breach, if you use their uh, Wi-Fi uh, services on the campus, I mean, that's basically what it looks like at actual campus, um, but um, you have to, um, if you uh, happen to send emails, texts, or anything like that uh, with the company's name, they monitor and track you with that and and um it sends out uh it's it it flags uh the initial text or message email that you send and they're able to go in to read it and um they monitor you that way so i um once we all found that out um like some people there was like well i'm not going to use their uh wi-fi here i'll just make sure my phone's charged up charged up and stuff like that um so but like i said other than that um it's been okay it's been nice like i said i mean i just completed my first week of um my uh training and stuff so um just uh it's nice to just be able to go into work do your job and go home with no drama i wish all of us uh could have that opportunity. I, I mean, I don't know how long it's going to last, but uh, it does um, impact uh, your health because I know at my other job I was under, I didn't realize how much stress I was up under um, as far as, you know, my weight, diet, and everything else. And, you know, the fact that the year before I had to go on my second um, prescription of um blood pressure medicine. So that's when I really started to uh, get serious about um, trying to get out of this uh, situation at the other job. So um, hopefully things are going to be looking uh, better. Um, like I said, I just uh, just ask other listeners, uh, whether you call in or not, to um, really take into consideration other callers who are calling in and sharing um 
because it, it takes a lot to share. Uh, and um, thank you for taking my call. For sure. Did you have you since you're in training, have you asked any uh, questions during the training period? I always think that's a great time to be able to ask questions. Like as far as uh, the data breaches or and stuff like that, or just any question. If you're going right, through, what? just if if you're going through training on the job, if I understand it correctly, I just always think that anytime you're in a training situation, that that's always a great time to ask questions, uh, just to get clarification. Or is it just? Are you saying it's oh. just? Yeah, I mean, I've been at we've been asking questions. I've asked questions specifically about you know, just general things, stuff that I've come across in the, um, our, uh, employee manual. I had initially asked specifically, um, as, as far as. Uh, detail as to why they have to track and monitor that. I did also come across in the employee uh, manual that because um, I, I had to uh, sign paperwork before I started that they do um, uh, you know you're not allowed to um, do certain posts online or this that and the other but I, I believe that's only if you associate your accounts with the company. And because I operate my account under um, a different uh, profile and I don't have it linked uh, to um, my company, uh, I, I don't have to worry about that. But it's something I still think about because I just make sure that I don't put their, um, the company's name in anything that I'm doing. That is uh, really, and I think you had said before, isn't this is the same place where if you include something with the company name in it, they track you, right? That's what you said. With the, if it's a text message or you know whatever. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Excellent yes. information. Text and email. Mm -hmm. Excellent information to know. That's why I said being really careful uh, and just trying to learn as much as you can, and assuming already whether it's Alexa. Or they're following you. They could be doing that anyway, but following your text messages or your emails or whatever it is, uh, just already having in mind that these things are happening. We're under surveillance, uh, the system of racism, white supremacy. And just be that's why I say all the time, talk, write, text uh, as though you are being watched at all times. If you can take extra uh, extra steps to try to protect yourself. I think you said some of the people, they just use their phones so they don't get on the the Wi-Fi. Yeah, uh, I try not to even use my Facebook uh, while I'm I'm there. Mm. I, I don't even uh, want to run the risk. Gotcha. Um, especially with uh, my uh, creative uh, posts and writing. Excellent, excellent logic to employ. Other folks uh, should employ the same thinking in the workplace uh, and definitely agree 
let's uh, making sure we're being compassionate. I think I said that earlier today. The, where the person that wrote in, that was what I said it when the person that wrote in about being laid off, that it is certainly not fun to dial in to talk about workplace racism in many instances. We're just talking about being terrorized and abused and trying to figure out the best way to, to deal with all of that. So it is definitely uh, something I'm always appreciative for folks dialing in and being compassionate with victims of racism as best we can. Uh, others that uh, have dialed in that we've missed totally, if you dialed in with a hand up, proceed. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Uh, good evening, Gus. Good evening to all the listeners and callers. Codified Software Developer in Wisconsin. Um, first of all, I just wanted to concur with what everybody said about Thomas's situation. I've been listening to the archives and uh, between the French woman sexually terrorizing him and uh, this other woman, the one he calls a terrorist, mistreating him consistently and constantly, it seems like a horrible situation. Um, And I hope that he can find a way to get out of it and get to something better, if there is a something better. Um, With that, I have a, a few stories. Uh, one, I, I've been listening while well, I was listening to the man not while you guys were reading it, and it brought up a story for me that happened maybe a couple of months ago. Uh, so the company I worked for was bought out by another company, and uh, a lot of their tech people were let go, but their business intelligence team was um, was re- retained, and they came to uh, the office in Milwaukee to visit with the business intelligence team there. And one of them was a black male, right? He was a a taller black male. He had to be about 6'6 or so, Um, lighter skinned. He wasn't even highly, he wasn't even heavily melanated. Um, And the moment I was in a meeting with the lead architect and walked out and he saw him, he saw him with this delegation of people and he instantly says, well, who are these people, you know? And um, I, was, I was feeling pretty antagonistic that day. So I said, oh, maybe that's you for them, <laughs> you know? Uh, and he said, oh, I'm not worried. I'm not worried. And I said, okay. So I walk out into the hallway and the delegation has gone out into the hallway and the lead architect comes out the door and he walks in between this black male and one of the white males, and he, he body checks the black male. I mean, literally with force, uh, with malice, with intent, body checks this black male. And, de- you know, he doesn't say excuse me or anything, just body checks him and goes into the uh, bathroom, and he's got this little smirk on his face, and he's looking at me, and I just look at him like, whatever, dude. Um, so that reminded me of that. Uh, and, and I will say this, there are no black males working uh, in the particular part of the company that I'm in. So in the Milwaukee office, there are no black males at all. So that, that tells you something. And this man has considerable amount of power when it comes to hiring people. Um, as far as the D.C. commentary, I know you guys have been talking a lot about uh, the government shutdown. And it's affecting black people in ancillary businesses as well. I have a friend who uh, does hair in D.C., 
And a lot of our clients are our government, you know, our government employees. And so that's dropping off for her. She's not getting um, the business that she was getting at one time. And so she's considering making changes. In addition, she's a partner with another black female who sustained because she, you know, she does sister locks, but it's like one of those things where it's, there's not as many clients out there for that. And um, so she was sustaining her, her, uh, her, her hair, her hairdressing business with a government job that has since been furloughed. So that's causing undue strain on their situation as well in terms of, you know, how they pay booth friends and, and things of that nature. So uh, it's definitely affecting a lot of black people and black people that we're not even thinking about when we think about the government shutdown. Um, as far as me, uh, well, there's a, there, apparently there's a situation going on right now. And I think that, so I've noticed at the company that I work for, the larger company that just bought us out, they seem to have a higher quota, if you will, for black people. It's like, I mean, they have several, I've met several black males who, who have worked there. I mean, black males, like we have no black males. So they're obviously, uh, they're obviously committed to racial showcasing. Um, and that's causing, I think, some changes to happen at the job that I work at. Um, and so in particular, you know, um, I've noticed some, some, differences in the way people are speaking to me um and so i was i was last week i was taught i was in a meeting with the lead architect for this long ongoing project that i've been working on so that we can sort of migrate all these things uh to the system of the company that i work for it's a it's a travel company and so we have to take their reservations and put into the company that i work for their booking engine so uh, we're working on that, and um, you know he's he's telling me to do something that I think is actually totally incorrect. So going back to that idea about you know not you know having the correct white people and then them getting upset, um, you know I I present him with a different solution, one that would conserve my time and energy because that's what I'm really all about when I'm there, and uh, you know I I showed him the solution and he points out that I misspelled adjustment, I left out the S, and I, I, you know, I was just like, okay, whatever. He was like, well, it, you know, it makes you seem human. And I said, what does that mean? You know, I asked, what does that mean? He said, oh, well, well, you're not perfect. And I said, oh, okay. You know, then I tried to engage him in conversation about the team that I was on because I haven't been working with that team for a while, and he sort of got real vague, you know, so okay, whatever. I go to a meeting with my, I go to a one-on-one -on -one meeting with my manager and he told me that there was an architect position open. So I said, well, this one non-white male, this, this, this Filipino male would be actually, I would think he would be the person that people would want in that position because he has the most experience and the most knowledge when it comes to that particular part of the system. And I did say, well, I consider him to be one of the top five developers in the building. Um, and he, he said, well, he said, well, I don't know. You know, I was here when he first got here. And, you know, then he, he came up with some vague story. And I, I was like, oh, okay. You know, 
So he then said that the lead architect answered questions from my review that was that we had to turn in at the end of the year. You know, and these three questions are what worked, what didn't work, and what needs to happen in the next 12 months for this person to say that I've had a successful year. And so I, of course, asked him, what did he say didn't work? And he said, and it was something like, well, qualified software developer has been away from her team working on reservation migration. If this continues past quarter one, other arrangements will need to be made. And I said, well, what does that mean? Because I know this is going to continue past quarter one. You know, and he's like, oh, well, I, I don't know. I don't know at all. And I'm, I'm just like, okay, whatever. So I spoke to, um, so I spoke to, the the uh, Filipino guy and I said, well, did you hear about this architect position? Because I mean, you should have that architect position. You're you're the best. You're the most qualified person. He's like, no, no, not really. And I was like, I I don't know who else would be the most qualified. And he was like, and he basically said this in so many words. He was like, well, you know, non-white people don't get promoted past analysts at this company. Which, yeah, we know. Right. So I said, okay, well, I, so, but he said he hadn't heard of the position. And I asked the Indian male that I worked with on my, on my team, who also was qualified for architecture, you know, had he heard of the position and he said, no, he hadn't heard of it, but that there was an architect position posted externally. Um, and I said, oh, okay. And he, he then said the same thing. He said, well, non-white people don't get promoted past analysts. So I'm like, okay, these, these guys, obviously, they're very well aware of the situation that they're in. Um, but, you know, the Indian guy said that he's going he's gonna, to uh, apply for the position. I don't think the Filipino dude is going to apply for the position. I think he's just sort of beaten down by it, you know. Um, so then I talked to this one architect who's a white male who's also known as the biggest gossip in the in the company and who can give constructive information. And so I asked him about the architect position. He said, well, they probably have someone in mind for it already and that they would tell that person to apply. So I said, okay, well, what is really going on? You didn't tell the Indian guy. You didn't tell the Filipino guy, but you told me. Meanwhile, the lead architect is, is, is BSing about what, what's going to happen to me after quarter one. So I'm like, what, what is the point of this? And then the, the, the white architect says something about, he told, I'm sorry, he told uh, the VP, sorry, didn't mean to give, give names. He told the VP, one of the VPs of development that he wanted me to come and work for him or something like that. And I'm like, what is really going on here? So I'm kind of in flux right now. I really know I need to move around because um, I just, I can't, I can't deal, can't deal with this. I talked to the Filipino guy. He was like, I don't want you to be like me. I, I don't want you to be sitting here 20 years from now, wasting your talent. You need to get out right now. Get out. Like, where we get out, you know? Um, but yeah, that's that's really all I have to share. Hope you hopefully you edit that name out, Gus. Thanks. I'll meet my line. Yes, ma'am. Homework assignment for Gus T. Uh, much obliged, codified software developer. Uh, wow, that was so much that that has been, a, I guess, a theme in terms of non-white people being 
deliberately excluded from job opportunities, be it overtime hours or promotions, whatever it is. Whites, I said that repeatedly, whites find a variety of different methods uh, to make sure that it will be white people who get the promotions and big offices and non-white people will find wherever their stopping point is along the way, analyst, janitor, whatever it is, they will find where you will be getting off at. Um, The getting out, I think, is really important because I think a lot of times non-white people, we do end up getting stuck in positions that are just horrible for us and are not going to allow us to develop. So absolutely, you had already said you were, you know, not trying to be too vested uh, with all of this. So yes, I wholeheartedly concur. I certainly appreciate the updates on the uh, the man not as it relates to workplace racism, because a lot of that book did deal uh, with the workplace environment and the particular terrorism that black males face. Body checking of a black male in a workplace environment, like my goodness. Um, and then the turnaround smirk. Like, <laughs> I mean, wow, what to say about racist man, racist woman, just the the flagrant aggression uh this six and again going back to the fear i thought white people were so terrified of black people didn't norm stamper he said the bigger they are the darker they are now she did say uh that this six foot black male wasn't that dark but still uh the bigger they are the darker they are the more afraid and i think consistently what i think has been presented is don't think of this as fear i'm gonna run away think of this as white genetic annihilation this fear motivating lethal violence frequently at minimum terrorism and you know a body check or two stagger and they have no black males racial showcasing of black males but no black males and in wisconsin we know how to lock up black males in wisconsin maybe they can go down to the the local prison and get some black males to fill out an application at least uh others that we missed totally i believe stacy is in the house with us uh, we had to do a lot of finagling, but I think we finally worked it out. 3.37 a.m. London time. Are you with us, Stacey? Hi, guys. I am telling to the rest of the callers. I don't even know what happened there, Gus, because I technically was online. <clears throat> Your volume is a little low. If you could speak up, please. Sorry. Can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I said I was technically online, so I'm not sure what was happening there. Call that racist interference. Um, I won't take too long because there's not much of the program left and I didn't hear most of the <clears throat> discussion. I just wanted to give an update on the non-white female I spoke about last week. She was given a new job. Or, well, yeah, given a new job. She's waiting to get a start date from her current team to release her to go into the new job. And she wanted to take some annual leave in between. I wasn't physically in the office today, so I'm not sure if they've now approved her annual leave. But she's been chasing for a start date for a couple of weeks. And also to get her leave signed off. They've been, the current managers have been incredibly hostile towards her. And she hasn't actually done anything wrong. All she's done is been um, applied for a job and been successful. And what her current manager is doing is 
terrorizing her, has now accused her of deleting emails and trying to, and the word sabotage was used. And to the extent that this non-white female is now feeling like perhaps she isn't ready to take on the other job, which is technically the same role, but just in another team. And I've, I've had to, you know, speak to her and say, don't you dare start doubting yourself because before you were appointed to this job, the said terrorist who's um, attacking you told you that she wanted you to stay forever. So clearly there's no problem with your performance. You know this is just because they don't want her to move on. And I advised her to make sure she turns up for work on Monday if her leave is not authorised, because effectively what they're trying to do is to do something to... Now, that would be the actual sabotage in her getting into that new role. And she notified them before Christmas that she had been appointed to the role. And the requirement is for her to give four weeks' notice. So she's technically already worked her notice. So it would be interesting to see how this pans out. And I'm pleased that my daughter, who had started a new job early in the summer, beginning of the summer, I guess. She was also under racist attack and has been able to transfer into another team. Again, the way in which, and, well, I guess her manager was also a, like the other female I just mentioned, um, was a racist female and the way in which if you have any kind of well actually I was going to say any confidence because I do think my daughter is a very confident person but I guess you can be under attack as a non-white person whether you're confident or not um, but they do try and break you down she luckily made the decision very early on that she wasn't going to tolerate the position for much longer and so has been able to transfer so some good news uh, on in, in inverted commas on the plantation this week and I'll make my line there Gus Outstanding to hear your daughter doing better they do that worldwide undermine the black self-respect <clears throat> undermine the black self-respect uh, and confidence uh, of black people worldwide that is standard operating procedure. That's why Dr. Welsing talked about that uh, so much so that we don't believe or forget, uh, minimize the brilliance uh, that we have. Very important uh, to share that with your offspring, talking about work. But second time, we mentioned that on the program, making sure we're passing that information on so that they can do better in the workplace. And the sabotage, that's another one. Pass on to your offspring. Look forward to that too. Should you get a promotion or anything well in the workplace, look out for the sabotage. Emails disappearing and whites looking, hoping, praying to make you fail in the workplace. Standard operating procedure worldwide. Uh, let's see, did we have any folks that we missed totally? Any people that had a hand up that we have not heard from at all who wanted to share? 
Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Greetings, caller in Florida. Yes, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Greetings to Gus, the host, the listeners and callers. I wanted to start out with, um, there was, uh, this one happened a long time ago, this first one. Like, I didn't have a vehicle at the time, so when I first started the job, uh, uh, I used to, after work, I had to wait for a ride. So I overheard, uh, it was like a few days later, I, I overheard a victim of racism, black male, who is um, in a administrative position now. He was conversing with another non-white person uh, who's non-black. And they were, I guess, discussing something about me. Uh, and something came up about, I guess, whether, you know, how, you know, whether I had a ride home or not. And then so it was like, yeah, you never, you didn't know he was standing out there. She was like, no, nah, I didn't, I, I didn't know whether or not he, um, maybe his car broke down or something. Or, <laughs> or you know, he was waiting for a ride. And, he was, and the, uh, the black male says, yeah, you didn't see him waiting out there like a prostitute. So he, uh, this is the same guy that is, um, I guess, getting all of these reports or whatever. So I remember I didn't really respond to that because he was, he was also making comments. You know, he, he said that I was Toby too. He said that I was Toby when I was uh, doing the recycling. Uh, you know that's the character from the Roots uh, film, and my my third one is the, the next two are acts of black self-respect. Uh, there was an older black male who was in the uh, area who was waiting to get taxi information to uh, go to an auction in the lobby to bid on property. So. A white guy came in, and he kind of like stepped in front of him because we was talking, we was uh, conversing with each other, me and the uh, older guy. So <laughs> I said, uh, "I said, where well, were you next to go to see the taxi person?" He's like, "Oh yeah, you know, is, is, is she nearby?" I was like, "Yeah." So I was like, "Yeah." So he has to go next, and, and the white guy was like, "Oh okay, that's cool, that's cool." He's like, "Oh no." Nah. The, the, and the black guy who's like, no, no, he, he's uh, he, he was trying to do something. And then he said, I, I see, I see what you're doing. And I said, yeah, I'm just trying to make sure you get treated correctly. So um, he's like, hey, I, I'm a crazy old man, uh, but you know, he's just enjoying, you know, my company. So you know, I understood that, but you know, I had to go in the next two or three minutes. So I said, hey, uh, make sure they treat you correctly now. And then, you know, I left and, and I made sure people heard me too. So, and I went to the supervisor, like, um, we have an older gentleman waiting out in the, in the lobby. So I'm not sure what happened after that. Cause when I came back, he was gone. My, my fourth one is I was uh, walking from the job and it was a black male. Uh, he had on the high school t-shirt of the high school I went, that I used to go to. And he was talking about his pride or whatever. He said, he said, you know, 
my my girl said to just quote unquote swallow your pride and just get out there and ask because his vehicle was um you know uh I guess a malfunctioning state or whatever like he didn't have the tires I guess or the tire was flat or whatever and he needed money eleven dollars to go up to the convenience store to buy this um, aerosol can product I guess to to um to put into his tire I guess to get it to to run more correctly. So I only had seven. But see, but see, but when he came up to me, like he <laughs> he said, "Brother, please don't snap on me." Brother, please don't snap on me. And but he was saying that like you know, like I was going to attack him or something. Uh, I was like, "Oh no, no, no. like how how's it going or whatever?" Because I was just trying to get to the vehicle. So like, yeah, you know, I needed just a couple of dollars, you know. So I just uh, took out the wallet, gave him uh, some cash. It was about seven, eight dollars. Uh, that was that was my fourth one, and my my fifth one is there's this uh, um, a white judicial assistant who used to be upstairs that I hadn't seen in a while, and she. <laughs> I was like, man, what's so where have you and the judge been these last couple of years? Well, she said there was at another county. And then I said, how was it? And she used this term. I, never, I don't know if anybody has heard this term. She said it was clansy. I said, what? It's clansy. And uh, like, what do you mean by that? Like, when we got there, just it was okay at first, but then within about three months in, two months in, Everyone's all hostile, and she didn't say racist, but people were being, you know, rude and um, uh, like aggressive with each other. And I was like, 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 who did you notice this from? She said, everybody. And this is a, a white woman saying that she noticed it from everybody. You know, I'm assuming she meant all of the um, the uh, white people there. So. <laughs> I said, wow, like, what, who did you have a problem with most? He said, the, the white women. They're just nasty. She was there, says, and uh, she, I guess, was trying to make it seem like it was a, the, um, the, the racial focal point thing with, oh, uh, if you're either Republican or you're nothing. So she was bringing that up with this place in, I guess, a, um, a neighboring county. Uh, my my next one is the supervisor and I and I had this discussion about the Dr. King when I brought that up uh, last week. So she was basically trying to come to me with ideas of what you know could be done because I'm I was thinking that she was just only talking about a luncheon, but I kind of went about it like if anybody had ideas that they wanted to do the lunch and, that, and that's okay if they came up with that but my point was about justice so I said whatever you want to go ahead and do from your idea then you can just I guess contribute to it so she emailed the black male in the civil area so the email stated it said blank spared, uh, expressed a desire to acknowledge the MLK holiday and the clerk is supporting the development of an event or an activity. And then it says, I've spoken with Blank a couple of times and suggested that a committee be formed 
to discuss how to acknowledge Dr. King and his achievements. I suggested researching and providing, she used the warden's name, the female, providing warden with information on a daily basis next week about Dr. King's upbringings, rallies, speeches, adversity, but I don't think that's the correct word. It really is racism, but uh, that's the word she used. And it says, he faced that eventually led to his death. And the changes he put in motion continue to this day. We discussed the possibility of a discussion group on Friday, which would have been today uh, during the lunch hour. A potluck could be involved. However, I believe that blanks my my interest is to bring to the forefront of why this holiday isn't just another weekend where people are given a day off and that Dr. King stood for justice and what we can or need to do to perpetrate equal treatment of people. So it says, would you be interested in presenting this concept to staff to see who would be interested in working with me, my name on a committee? They would need to meet ASAP in order to flesh out ideas. That's another word, flesh. Once we know the plan, Warren wants to share info with other buildings so everyone is involved and can participate. So that, that my supervisor sent that email to the black male. So I, and I counted the amount of white people and only three to four of them respond to this uh, thread of emails. But I haven't checked the sign up genie that they sent out. See who all is supposed to be, I guess, bringing something. Uh, but from what I'm hearing about the other building, everybody's excited, I guess, and they are you know, doing their own kind of an event to, I guess, commemorate the holiday because it's never really been done. No one's ever really said anything about it. Um, but, you know, I really wanted to emphasize the part on justice. And all of the white people are either just kind of just avoiding me to kind of look almost saddened. Like, I don't even see no aggression on their faces. Like, they, they just kind of have, like, this look of shame. Like, oh, my goodness, he's ruining our fun. Like, not every white person. It was one of them that said, thank you for speaking out when I had spoke about it. Okay, but it was only one of them, one or two. Yeah, two of them. All right, so uh, and my, my last one is, there was a, a flyer that has Dr. King's image on it. And, you know, of course, the warden put the image together. Okay, and it's like a vector art image. And it has... Uh, I don't know if anybody's ever seen that image. Like you can look on Google, uh, and it has children holding hands in a circular motion. And she put that like around Dr. Martin Luther King's image. So I'm like, what are you? <laughs> she used children of different uh, skin tones of melanin. So the a black female had an idea, I guess, to put people can bring in, I guess. Dr. King's favorite dishes or whatever. And they see, they was bringing up a lot of ideas like soul food and things, I guess, that might not be the most constructive things, but I still didn't criticize. But she was told not to put the word soul in it, like for soul, like soul food or whatever, like food for the soul. She said she had to take that word out and pretty much the whole thing out, the bottom form of it, that the people couldn't bring in food that I guess would be connected with Dr. King because I hadn't really researched that. Um, and that's all I have for now. Oh, actually, one more. 
the warden has missed five consecutive meetings since I've uh, been there. Well, not been there, but since the new uh, personnel regulations have been released in September. So it's been about four of them that she has not been to that I have been to at the same time. So I wanted to um, share that and it, it may extend further into the future. And that's all I have for now. Thanks for allowing me to share. Much obliged caller in Florida. White people avoiding them at the staff meeting. That is, uh, again, uh, it's very few things, very few times that I've seen in my experience where just starting to be more mindful about word choice, understanding racism, white supremacy, asking questions and seeing just monumental shifts in how white people responded to get to where a white person on a job is avoiding staff meetings because, you know, they think you might be asked a question or what have you. I mean, that's made and at a courthouse, no less. This isn't McDonald's where we're avoiding a staff meeting where we're talking about, you know, it's now going to be five chicken nuggets instead of six in the happy meal. I mean, presumably, uh, let's see other notes of so many details. Uh, standing out there like a prostitute said by a black male, unfortunately, who is now facing reports of inappropriate conduct in the workplace made to other females, it seems. Uh, standard, the anti-blackness, that's why I said expect that. Managing emotions, I think you said you did not respond in that situation. I guess this was an oldie, but uh, just be mindful of that. The anti-blackness is a major problem and might have to use some of our patience with other victims of racism uh, in the workplace, unfortunately, even though I think I would probably say something uh, to that person, maybe or it would definitely be not publicly. But, yeah, I would prefer if I could not be referenced as a prostitute. Much obliged. Uh, let's see. Toby. The name calling in the workplace. I think this was the same person he said being called Toby for taking out the uh, recycling. That would, if it was a white person, that would be journaled, and I would definitely have to say something about that immediately. Even with another black person, I'd probably have to say something. Just, I'd like to be called my name every time. Toby is not my name. Thank you kindly. Uh, Clancy, I have never heard that term used in my life. Clancy white women down in Florida being racist and nasty. I'm stunned. People will do a lot of things to avoid saying racist. Clancy is a new one. Uh, let's see. Uh, brother, please don't snap on me. Black self-respect for helping out. I don't know what's up with that pride thing that came up a few times during the broadcast this evening. Uh, I do not associate, I guess it depends on what people mean when they say pride uh, in the context of a, a black person, a victim of white supremacy, talking about having pride. I don't know what they mean. Um, yeah, I don't know how much how much pride one can have in a system of white supremacy. When I talk about black self-respect, that is something totally different. Yes, we're in a system of racism, white supremacy, but there are things I can and should be doing and should not be doing uh, to help solve this problem. That is at the core of black self-respect, not pride. 
the MLK holiday, I'm surprised they didn't come up with twerking as an alternative. I remember uh, Stacy was uh, saying that they were going to do the twerking for Black History Month in London for October. Uh, I'm surprised that did soul food and twerking. Like, yeah, that's would have been right on for the celebration. The tackiness can often come out when either they're pressed to celebrate one of these holidays about a black person uh, and or when it's we got to be constructive. Uh, and I, I guess I would even point I'm not saying, you know, this needs to be brought up on the job, but I'm just remembering uh, where you were being hounded. You know, we're having a potluck. You got to participate. You got to bring in, you know, some baked goodies. What's what's going on? Participate in the potluck. That was when the holidays were winding up, how, uh, Christmas and all that nonsense. Uh, are they going around and hounding to get people excited? It's the king. What are you all looking all glum like you're missing out on something, saying folks look like they they're not getting to have fun. Like, hey, we should be excited. It's the king holiday and we're at the courthouse, no less. Like, man, we should be the most excited about doing something for the king holiday and promoting justice. Like, hey, let's woohoo, let's have fireworks. That's not it at all. This man can't do. No, nigger Joe, we can't bring in any soul. <laughs> come on, come on. I don't know how the food thing, see, that's what I mean, the tackiness. I don't know how that got brought in uh, in terms of soul food because I have no idea what Dr. King's foods would be. Uh, and I think we could do something more constructive than bringing in, what are we talking, okra? What? Greens? What are we going to bring in? How is that, you know, respecting his legacy? That's why I said the tackiness will come in. It'll be twerking, sweet potato pie, something of nonsense. Uh, racism, really. Uh, but they'll do that on a pretty regular basis. Uh, I guess you can let us know next week how it all unfolds uh, for holiday. Uh, somebody have a final comment they needed to get in before we conclude? We did our three. Can I be heard? Retired firefighter. Yes, I, I uh, watched a uh, interesting uh, documentary uh, this afternoon uh, on the, the uh, Panama Canal. Uh, we we're talking about uh, people activity of labor and uh, mistreatment based on color. Uh, they were uh, building up as the the most dynamic uh, project in the history of the world at that particular point in time, and primarily uh, all of the skilled labor, of course, was white people, and the 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 majority, the vast majority of the unskilled labor were non-white black males. Uh, from uh, different Caribbean uh, areas, quote-unquote called Caribbean areas, uh, Barbados and other places. Uh, the, the skilled workers were paid in gold, and the unskilled labor people were paid in silver. Uh, and, uh, uh, yeah, I, I was just uh, uh, identifying with... Uh, with uh, what was being said in the documentary based on mistreatment as far as that concern and uh, uh, and uh, witnessing that in that particular documentary. That's it. 
much obliged retired firefighter. I thought uh, for a moment you were going to say that the the darker folks of the Caribbean, I'm sure they had some Dominican Republic folk or Haitian black people in there as well. Jamaica, maybe even. Uh, I thought for a second you were yeah. going to say they were paid with coconuts. Uh, and I would not have been surprised if that had been the case either. Uh, but yeah. I guess, but it, 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 the pay different, the pay difference in in terms of what they're getting was on purpose. Yes. Oh, for sure, for sure. I guess they were feeling mm-hmm. benevolent that that year or so and decided to do silver. But white supremacy, nonetheless. Uh, we will be here, so the schedule will be here tomorrow. Compensatory call in nine p.m. Eastern, six p.m. Pacific, Sunday for the Global Sunday Talk on Racism, and Tuesday. Uh, irregular time, our guest Ann Michelson, she's a white woman, but she's in Norway. That's why it'll be irregular time. Uh, but she has been teaching in Norway, no less, uh, with the book, The Hate You Give, uh, formerly the worst book I've ever read. Uh, but she will be with us on Tuesday. Uh, always enjoy refining skills, talking to whites. This Tuesday, looking forward. If you can tune, I know that's you know it'll be uh, two p.m. Eastern, one p.m. Central, and eleven a.m. Pacific. That's nine-hour time difference is massive. So if you're on the plantation, you know if you can listen live, grand. It'll be in the archives. But always look forward to chatting it up with whites and the hate you give. Very much excited about chatting up with a white person who thinks that that is a great constructive book towards working against racism. With that, much obliged for everyone for tuning in. Hope it has been a constructive investment of your Friday evening. Uh, Again, we'll be here in about 24 hours. Uh, Sobriety would be best for all victims of white supremacy racism. Uh, Whites have done a lot of damage worldwide to non-white people who are not thinking correctly because we've been uh, poisoned by all of whites' concoctions. Let's preserve our brain computers so we can make great decisions towards solving the problem. Racist man, racist woman, racist child. Even the 14-year-old whites in high school are not ignorant about white supremacy. In addition to being sober, if we could be buckled up every time we are in a vehicle, driver or passenger, uh, let's do all that we can to minimize contact with race soldiers, badge or no. The little fella said he wanted to be a race soldier. Uh, That said, creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times in all places each and every time we are in contact with another black person it has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately cow signing out thanks all for tuning in nigga you so brainwashed I'm a victim, brother. A victim. I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm -hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.